Hello everyone and welcome back to Latter-day Takes. On today's episode, I'm actually especially excited. It's a long one, so I'm gotta gotta adjust the format a little bit today because I don't want things to get too long on y'all. But we're already pushing two hours at this point, so I'm just gonna make this quick. With that said, I still want to share a little tidbit of something that I shared last Sunday in my talk. Um, I talked about spiritual tools. I talked about actual tools that we use with the church, like through technology and then just kind of new new age things like come follow me. But some I shared a story. I, one of the tools I mentioned was prayer, and I think a subset of prayer specifically is quiet time, peace, stillness, things like that, which are things that I definitely need to adopt more in my life, specifically in the morning. I do a very bad job, and something I'm very well aware of, but I don't do a great job of trying to combat it. So if anybody has any tips out there, please let me know. I look at my phone immediately. I do. I mean, it's call it excitement, call it help, trying to help me wake up, whatever, distraction, bored, I don't know. I don't like just sitting in stillness in the morning early. Um, for one, it's harder to fight off sleep that way, but another, it's boring. <laughs> so maybe I just don't like being quiet in general, which is kind of a general problem for me. But I think mornings are significant to be quiet and to embrace the quiet. So I want to get better at that. If there's anybody out there that has a suggestion for it, please let me know. But this story is amazing. My sister shared it with me, so I shared it in my talk, and it's about being quiet, like kind of embracing that stillness, which I do think is an offshoot of prayer, you know, when you're having that moment just to speak directly with God. Anyway, that's a story that President McKay wrote about, David O. McKay. Um, he referenced a bishop, the presiding bishop of, uh, of the, to the general authorities, to the church, I guess. Uh, his name was John Wells. There, John Wells, his, his, he and his wife were just mourning the loss of their son, which they thought may have come under like mysterious circumstances. He was working on a railroad. And this happened one morning. Um, it was, this is how the story goes. A son of Bishop John Wells was killed in Emigration Canyon on a railroad track. Sister Wells was inconsolable. She mourned during the three days prior to the funeral, received no comfort at the funeral, and was in a rather serious state of mind. One day, soon after the funeral services, while she was lying on her bed, relaxed, still mourning, she says that her son appeared to her and said, Mother, do not mourn, do not cry, I am all right. It was clearly an accident. Now listen, and this is President McKay interjecting. He says, now listen, he said that as soon as he realized that he was in another environment, so the spirit world, he tried to see his father, but he couldn't reach him. His father was so busy with the duties in his office, he could not respond to his call, which by the way, I think is fascinating because here his brother or his father is using time to serve in his capacity, right? As a bishop, presiding bishop, but he's so busy and busy in some of the at some of the wrong times apparently like even even acting in his calling wasn't always justified apparently therefore he had come to his mother this is president mckagan he had said to her you tell father that all is well with me and i want you not to mourn anymore president mckay made the statement that the point he had in mind was that when we are relaxed in a private room we are more susceptible to whisperings of the spirit and that as far as he was concerned his best thoughts come after he gets up in the morning and is relaxed and thinking about the duties of the day that impressions come more clearly as if it were to hear a voice those impressions are right if we are worried about something and upset in our feelings the inspiration does not come if we so live that our minds are free from worry and our conscience is clear and our feelings are right Toward one another, the operation of the Spirit of the Lord upon our spirit is as real as when we pick up the telephone 
that sounds amazing. I definitely want to have that type of connection, that type of communication with the spirit and with um, potentially heavenly visitors, right? It's hard. I mean, I, where, where's the gap between insight and action? Here I have the blueprint. Like, I need to be more quiet. need to embrace the quiet, the still, the, the peaceful moments in my life. Not to have an expectation of have some spirit appear to me, obviously, which would be awesome, but more to just have that time to connect a little bit better with my Savior, with the Spirit, and maybe having instruction given out to me in those moments. So I know how to do it comes down to actually doing it, and that's the hard part. How do you put it into action? I don't know, but I thought this story was an amazing example of how it just is about embracing the peaceful times and having a moment just to reflect, maybe meditate or things like that. And that includes... You know, if you think you're being productive with your time, maybe you're going right from reading the Book of Mormon, scripture study, right to going into work, and maybe you need to have a gap there. That's what I do. I'm guilty of that. I get through scripture study, and I'm basically not missing a beat. I'm going right into something else. And maybe I need to give a little time more for the gaps. Anyway, I don't want to take more of your time. I thought that was cool. I hope you all enjoy it. I hope you all are having a great week. Um, we're coming into, we just coming off of Memorial Day weekend. I had a pretty fun one. Weather sucked. Weather did suck, but it was fun though still, you know, I got, I got to hang with uh, some good friends, kick back a little bit, play some pickleball when the weather cleared up a little. Love y'all. Hope y'all are doing well. And, uh, this is going to be a fun episode. We're doing fighter pilot, Clark Heyman, an old friend of mine from BYU, which I mean, half the guests I have on this thing are that way. And... Um, we talked kind of his background and how he got into becoming a fighter pilot, as well as a buddy of mine, John Stevens, who's been on the podcast before. We do a review of Top Gun. This is a total Top Gun episode. This is my coming out of the closet party for Tom Cruise. I'm officially open to tell everybody that I am gay for Tom Cruise now because that man is amazing and he makes entertaining movies and I love watching him and if there's a movie that Tom Cruise is in, there's no chance I, I don't watch it. So I'm a I'm full-fledged Tom Cruise supporter. Love that man. Hope you enjoy this episode. It's a long one. Bear with me. Next week, I got a fun guest for you all. Um, we're going to be recording later, but it will come out next week. Uh, she may or may not have something to do with the Bachelor franchise, and she also may or may not have been a winner of one of those. Anyway, little teaser for you all. Have a good one. We'll catch you on the other side. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. Joining me today on Latter-day Takes is uh, a BYU ROTC legend, <laughs> as far as I'm uh, aware. <laughs> uh, back in the BYU days, uh, Clark Haymond was a uh, freshman buddy of mine. I remember we'd play uh, Major League Baseball. We'd be the Indians, uh, Xbox, <laughs> in your dorm room, like every other Saturday, it felt like at times. But Clark, you spent time in the Air Force, fighter pilot, doing all this stuff, 
up in the air with the Jets. I don't really know the details. That's why I wanted to bring you on, especially because of how timely it is with Top Gun. I've actually wanted to talk to you about this for a while because you've had really cool experiences with this. But then when you had reminded me like, hey, like Top Gun just came out, like, let's talk about it. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, this timing is excellent. So, yes, let's get into this, man. I want to I want to hear a little bit more about your background, though, because obviously, like you and I have stayed in social media contact, so to speak, but we haven't really like caught up on each other's lives. So I want to know kind of what your trajectory was like after leaving BYU and then kind of the route you went, uh, you know, flying fighter jets. Yeah, dude, Harper, thanks for having me on. Congrats on the podcast, man. I've been following it for a little bit. Um, and it, it's been cool. Like, it's been really cool to hear your takes on things. You've matured a little bit, not much, but slightly. <laughs> not much. <but laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little. That's what I was going for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. So, um, yeah, BYU was an, an awesome experience for me. Um, and it, it led me to the air force. I, I went to BYU planning on becoming a fighter pilot. Um, and here I am, which is cool. Um, and it was one of those things where now that I look back, I, I see that, you know, setting a goal and setting a dream, like you can literally accomplish anything in life and it top gun as we as we'll talk about it was one of those inspirational things for me growing up i'm sure most little kids like our age especially watched it and it was an impactful moment but for me it was like that is what i want to do you know yeah well, how old were you i actually didn't know top gun was the inspiration behind that but i remember our freshman year you were you were adamant you you knew you wanted to fly like yeah I, i'd from say the get-go. In fact, i'd say like when i was like 16 you know is when it started for me um uh, do you know what's funny, actually? I'm not sure. I feel like I told you this once, but there was a guy that you had served with that lived in my mission because you were in Veracruz, yeah. right? Yeah. So and I was in Merida. So I was in the Yucatan yeah. Peninsula at Cancun and all that stuff, but we weren't too far from each other. He was from a tiny little Mayan town. And he's like, yeah, I just got back from Veracruz. I was like, oh, my, I was like a buddy of mine's out in Veracruz. And I was like, Elder Haymond. Um, actually I might be mixing up a couple stories, but like regardless, it. and I definitely can't remember his name, but if you ever had a Mayan companion, a guy from like some small town in the Yucatan yeah. with him, and he had even mentioned, he's like, yeah, he wants to like fly planes, yeah. right? Like he wants to be a pilot. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's it's wild. so funny. Like, like you had, you had had that goal and it was apparently since, since 16, which I didn't know, but not only that, but it was like very very, like no one was going to deter you from that goal. So that's really cool to hear you talk about it. Yeah. And it, it was, it's one of those things where like in the grand scheme of things, it, look, it looks really big and it looks really difficult, but if you start piecing and parting together and eating it, eating that way that elephant, you know, it's very manageable. It's something that literally anybody can do. Um, I've seen the, the best of people and some of the not so best of people, actually accomplished this goal. So I'm pretty confident that if, if anybody out there wants to put their mind to something like this, it's totally doable. Um, but it's pretty, it's a pretty uh, tight filter though, in order to even qualify to do kinda, it. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of self-selection that goes on with it. Um, if I remember, what do you mean by that? Exactly? Yeah. Like a, if you wanted to be a fighter pilot, you could probably do the, the steps that you need to, to, to become one. However, you just got to figure out how to do that. And that's, some people are just like, man, it's a little hard or I don't really know how, or I don't have the, the mentors or it, there's just a lot of unknowns. Like how, how do you become a fighter pilot? Like that, it's a very weird back alley thing that you, unless you know somebody that can maybe hold your hand and, and show you how to do it, it can be difficult, you know? Um, 
for me, I learned a lot of it online and reading forums and figuring out how people do it. So there's three real main ways to do it. Um, you either go to the Air Force Academy um, or you go to an ROTC thing like I did there at BYU or pretty much every university in the country has some sort of ROTC where it stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps where you do part-time or you do full-time school and you part-time kind of Boy Scout Air Force-y things and pretending to be in the Air Force, you know? Um, and then the last one is you can finish your, your college education and then go to officer training school after college. Um, and they all have different pluses and minuses. Uh, for me, you know, I was able to find a wife, get married, start our family, all being in college, you know, versus if you go to the academy, you're pretty much in prison for four years. So very different, you know, um, kind of paths there. But um, so I did the ROTC thing, um, got accepted to pilot training. Which again, I think. How many people get accepted into pilot so we, training from an ROTC? Um, so overall, the Air Force tries to make I think fifteen hundred pilots a year. Um, we end up making usually around twelve hundred uh, in the last couple of years. Um, I'd say about half of those come from the academy, and probably another third is the ROTC and then whatever the rest is, is from like OTS type of thing. So the majority of people are going to be going to the Academy. You're pretty much, as long as you medically qualify and can graduate in the, the Academy, you're going to get in typically. Um, and then, so it's a little bit more competitive, but I think the year I applied, I think there were 13 of us that applied and I think 12 out of the 13 got pilot slots. So uh, 13 from, from, BYU, from yeah, BYU. BYU. Oh, yeah. wow. I did not know that that many would go through BYU's ROTC program hoping to get yeah. into the... Yeah, and in fact, it's one of the larger ones. When I was there, I think we had like 250 people or so in the in the group. Um, yeah, so I'd say we do arguably pretty well at BYU as far as at the time. Um, and me keeping tabs with the guys lately, it sounds like it's it's kept up, which is good. Um, I don't know. There's it, it, there's a weird pro like a, or a per capita rate of LDS people in the, in the military and the air force in general. Yeah. I've um, heard that, which is cool because like, I'll, you know, this is pushing forward, but I'll show up to England on my first assignment. And I have my fighter pilot group that I know a bunch of people in a foreign country. And then I have a church group that I can immediately latch onto as well. Um, and so to have two communities readily available for help or, uh, sport or whatever has been really, really awesome um, to have. So yeah, I don't know. I remember once uh, went to Vegas, went to church with a friend and the, the guy's like, Oh, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. I'm like, okay, cool. He goes, yeah, he teaches at the weapons school um, in the air force, which is like our version of top gun, you know, fighter weapons school. And immediately, like, I don't know this guy from Adam. Right. But immediately all barriers are down and now we're just talking fighter pilot stuff, you know, in yeah. the middle of church wearing ties, you know, and, um, it, it's, just, it's a connection that I'll have for the rest of my life, which I'm, I'm really happy for. And that I can connect with people in a way that only the two of us at the moment really can grasp it, which is cool. So, that is cool. um, so I guess one of my questions I have too is, is, was the, was it the Air Force because that was the only way you could do it through BYU? Because otherwise, because you could have done it through the Navy. Yeah, could have done it through the Navy. Um, 
to yes for most of the most of that answer is yes um i wanted to go to byu i mean not to be honest, no, no. Be like how do you really feel no, about the air force no, i mean it's, it's just obviously everybody takes the path that is the most convenient for them it's not necessarily because you have some weird loyalty to whichever group of branch yeah, of the totally. military it was for me it was the kind of go back to that it was freshman year 9-11 happens i was walking out of I think it was PE class, and I saw the towers burning. This was in freshman in year high in high school, yeah, by the way. For context. So, yeah. towers are on fire. I remember going to my Spanish class, and we have this like in Ohio, by the way. In Ohio, yep. And yeah. uh, thank you. Wow, that's good. Um, yeah. So, towers are on fire, and I go to the class, the Spanish class, and it's like this French lady teaching our Spanish class, right? I think she taught both French and Spanish, but terrible accent, you know. <laughs> I can't understand what she's saying. All I want to do is watch the news. And she's like, she turns right. it off and we're going to talk about Spanish, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. I had some teachers that did that like, too. Guys, this, yeah. This we is were, like the moment we of our lives, grade. you know? Yeah. No joke. I, I, I was telling someone about that actually recently where they were, I think it was somebody that didn't grow up in the United States. And they're like, we, I remember nine 11. Like that's all we did was watch the news that day. And I was like, I was in the United States when it happened and like 80% of my teachers actually made us do schoolwork. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what in the world? Like it was one of those times where it's like, we knew the, the, the significance of what we were experiencing that day in the moment in real time. And we couldn't just take it all in at that point and try and absorb it. But no, we had to like, for you, it was Spanish. For me, it was math. Like, I, I mean, it's just, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> anyway. So that was, that was like, right. Hey, I want to join the military. And if I'm going to do the military, yeah. it was, there's only one thing for me and it was flying jets, you know, watching Top Gun, going yeah. to air shows, going to air museums. Um, one time my dad woke me up. I was a young kid and he was like, Hey, we can either go to six flags or we can go to the Dayton air force museum. Like today you get to decide. And I chose the Air Force Museum, and I remember doing that. And I, he, I don't know if he was testing me or what he was doing, but um, hindsight, I probably should have went, went, should have went to Six Flags, and I could, I could have seen airplanes <laughs> for the rest of my it. life, you know. But. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm, like, I'm actually sick of airplanes, and I didn't know I would get sick of airplanes as quickly as I did. But Six Flags, I've only been to like yeah. twice in my life, so I'm that <laughs> um, I've actually heard some awesome things about the Dayton Museum, been, by the way, because my sister. Yeah. My sister was stationed out there with her husband. Um, well, her husband was stationed out there, but they lived out there as a yeah. family. And I've heard it's really it's cool. good. That one's really good. I'd say the probably just underneath it is the Smithsonian, not the one like on the mall, but the one at the Dulles Airport. There's like a Reagan, uh, like a separate museum that they have out there. I'd say both of those are probably the, the best in the country, if not top of the world. Uh, as far as museum goes, the one here at Hill is pretty good too, to be honest. Uh, especially randomly out in Utah, like it's it's actually a really good one as well. Oh, nice. um, all that being said, yeah, back to your original question. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be in the military. Um, so Navy is an option. BYU didn't have a Navy ROTC program. Um, I think the U does. Uh, I wanted to go to BYU. So it's kind of like all of these things mixed into one. I'm like, okay, that's. That's what I should do. Applied for a scholarship, um, ended up getting that in high school, um, and doing the ROTC thing through BYU. So it worked out great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you leave BYU, you have a family now, or you're starting a family. 
when 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 do you finally get to fly? Like how long after leaving BYU were you? Yeah, it's in a pretty jet? quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so pilot training is about a year long, and once you start on the bus, you kind of keep going, right? So there's depends on when you show up. You know, you might have to wait a few months. I had to wait maybe three or four months um, to get my training dates all set up. But um, I went to pilot training in Wichita Falls, Texas, so like right on the Red River. I've driven through Wichita oh, Falls. Oof, boy, yeah. oh boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, well, it's prettier than Munich, believe it or <laughs> I didn't not. Believe it. Uh, <laughs> so we were there for just over a year, I'd say, um, and it's it's pretty like for a guy I, I had never flown an airplane before, so like I had no maybe maybe two or three hours in like a little Cessna with a friend type of thing, but. And you're doing flight simulators to this point. Yeah. I mean, you start off with ground training. They talk about, you know, basic principles of flying. And then you, you dive more into the systems of the aircraft that you're about to fly. So in pilot training, you, you start off, the first half is what's called the T6. It's like a little trainer, a single engine prop, turboprop. Um, and Do we see that in Top Gun, by the way? No, you like- don't. It looks a lot like a P-51. So if you, when, when he flew around his little P-51 that he's working on, I'd say that's the closest thing to mm-hmm. it. It, it, nowhere okay. nowhere near as cool but if you were to kind of put a, a label to it that's what it would look like um and it's a two-seat trainer and full aerobatic trainer um so you learn the systems you do some sims you learn how to kind of take off land and fly around in the simulator and then it's time for your first ride man and how, how fast are you going in this in this other plane that you're talking this trainer plane? um it can go 200 to 200 50 or so yeah it's okay. pretty good it's pretty fast but you're going from there to the actual now you're getting into the jet no so you do this for six months so you you, you work oh. on this airplane and get better and better and so you start off flying by yourself and you learn how to land you learn how to fly in weather you learn how to land in weather uh, you learn how to navigate what's the hardest part to train for by the way the hardest part to train for so like i think initially your body is just not ready for the third dimension it's just not a natural thing and your inner ear tubular systems and um, flying around with, you know, when, when you go into weather and you can know, you will lose your sight, your sense of sight, what that does and messes around with your, your brain is weird. I mean, I remember my first flight coming home, putting my bag down, lying on the couch and just like passing out. And it was just a very like, not traumatic, but overwhelming, you know, feeling and Actually, yeah, like physically completely. Taxing. And yeah. you're hot, you're sweating, you're nauseous because your body's not used to this. Like I would, I would get actively air sick in the beginning for sure. Um, and it's something I had to overcome and, you know, and, and then you have to like safely maneuver an aircraft and navigate to the, where you want to go and land and everything. It's just very foreign. Um, and, uh, yeah. How long did you pass out for? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't. I have no idea. Like, not actually pass out, just like sleep. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't think that, but yeah. But you're just like laying on the couch, just like oh, in zombie like mode, it, it, and just like it wiped me out the rest of the day, to be honest. Yeah. And then you got to yeah. get up and do it again and again and again. And so, yeah. what's cool is like it's a profession, and the way that the Air Force teaches is, is great, and I really loved like the process, um, and being able to kind of build this skill that is very foreign was was pretty cool. So you do that for six months. You go all the way through like what they call formation flying. So you'll go up there with another aircraft and fly close to each other. 
That, by the way, is one of the craziest things I feel like is is when you're going that fast within. I mean, how close are you to these other? Um, you know, jets? in in the future, yeah, six six to ten feet or so. When I was you know fl- flying around in my real my real jet, yeah. That is so nuts, and it's so coordinated. Like I don't I don't even understand how that's possible. I really don't. Like it looks like you guys are linked. <laughs> And that's like one person controls. It's both literally planes. what it is because essentially as the flight lead, I'm in control and my wingman flies off of me and does what I tell him to do, you know? Um, yeah. So, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a coordinated, definitely chaos because there's a lot of trust involved and there's a lot of training involved. And so it starts early on, you know, right in the beginning when we, when we yeah. fight tactically, it's always as a, as a formation, we work together. Um, on that, I, I've never done a deployment or a combat sortie by myself with my like only one jet. It's always we call it mutual support. We'll go out there and support each other. So, um, anyway, so you do the T six for six months, and then uh, over to the T thirty eight, which is um, if you remember Top Gun one, the quote MiG twenty eight, that you know the bad guy. Uh, that's actually yeah. an F five, which is a U.S. made uh, aircraft. And the trainer version of the F5 is called the T38, and it's pretty much the same airplane. Mm-hmm. So that's that like MiG-28, that bad guy in Top Gun One is what you fly second. Um, so you so you oh, fly wow. that for six months. It's a supersonic jet, um, and you do those pretty much the same exact thing. You fly low, you fly in weather, instruments, that kind of stuff, formation, uh, but no like tactics yet. So you're you're not using it as a weapon yet. It's all about learning how to fly the aircraft. Um, so you do that for a whole year. And at that point you, you are ranked against your peers and they decide, Hey, you're number one, you're number two, you're number three, yada, yada, all the way down. And here's what's available. And you kind of just, the number one guy gets his first pick and it works its way down. Um, so where, where are you doing this by the way? That was all in Texas. That's right. Sorry. Wichita yeah, Falls. Yeah. Okay. So that was where I didn't even know that. Yeah. So there's, there's four different locations. There's that one. There's one in Enid, Oklahoma, one in Del Rio, Texas, and then which is on the border of Mexico. And then Columbus, Mississippi is the fourth one. Those are all the pouches. Do they just like flatter areas? Is that what What's it that? is? Do they like flatter areas? Do you, like topographically? Yeah, or for sure. I like it's. I'd say those are definitely a, a plus for that type of um, training. Yeah. Training and- Keeping yeah. it safe. I mean, there's, I'd say there's three to four, maybe plus ejections every year from the pilot training. It's it's new people doing new new things with old aircraft. Um, it, yeah. Did you ever have to eject? Nope. Uh, luckily, I've never ejected. Um, I've actually ever no never ejected, um, and uh, which is good. Like that's I've, I consider myself lucky. I mean, I can imagine the ramifications from destroying a plane. You know, it's it's actually surprisingly, uh, I've been I've been happy with the way that the Air Force has treated most of my friends that have ejected, um, even if sometimes it might have been their fault. You know, stuff happens, decisions are made. Let's learn from them and move on. But it's obviously not good. But um, I've had right. I've had yeah. friends that have um, done some stupid stuff that the air force maybe have, have taken a little bit of punishment on them, but they can still survive and continue in the air force if they want. So do you have a crazy ejection story that you've heard of? Um, probably the most interesting one that I know. Of. Um, so let me, I'll finish this part and then just kind of move into that, that question. So 
my jet that I received was the F-15E Strike Eagle. So it's a two-seat variant of the Eagle. Um, so two tails, two engines. Um, we shoot missiles and drop bombs, right? So we do pretty much everything. So um, this guy's story is he, he finished through his training. He gets to his first operational squadron in, in England. Um, and then right then is when Libya starts kicking off with Muammar Gaddafi. And he like finishes his, his initial training and then they send him right to, to Italy to go fight in this Libyan war. And so it's his first flight after training is as a combat sortie in Libya. And, oh my God. and he had a, a weird malfunction with his, with the aircraft and they had to eject. And so the dude's like <laughs> fresh as you could be. And he is now under a parachute in Libya. <laughs> and like, oh and so he was the Wizzo specifically. And then the pilot uh, also, obviously they both ejected and they, they land and the pilot gets, gets rolled up by a Marine, a U.S. Marine team. So kind of safe, right? Whereas yeah, this yeah. guy gets rolled up by like some tribal Libyan neutral, neutral <laughs> to maybe pro-American forces, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. does this whirlwind of I don't know how many days to get back to U.S. Navy and eventually onto a boat and shipped back to England. And, but just like to oh <laughs> like welcome to the air force, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, yeah. man. Um, well then, so on this ejection topic, can we finally put this to bed that goose shouldn't have died in top gun than the first top gun? So in my jet, there's no way he could have died. Uh, that's, I mean, even for someone has, who has zero yeah. clue how ejections work. I'm like, that doesn't seem standard like that should ever yeah, happen I, in my in my position there's no way um you know that the canopy should fly off first and then the back seater goes and then the front seater the sequence of all that stuff should make it such that it never happens you could there's even situations where if the canopy doesn't go off the seat will go through the canopy um, and continue now i will say though and i'm not i'm not a f-14 pilot by any stretch but i was watching a video who of a, of a former F-14 pilot that said it could have happened. And so now I'm like, I don't, I don't no. even know, you know, at this point I I'm, I'm going yeah. with my trust and get that. There's no way he could have died. So whatever. It's good. Hollywood. Nonetheless. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, poor goose. We lost him, but his legacy lives on. <laughs> um, what was it? What was it like? I mean, you, you just, you just saw Top yeah. Gun a few days yeah. ago. Yeah. So for you watching this, I mean, I know, like, from what I understand, you personally give it pretty good reviews just in terms of sheer entertainment. But when you get into the logistics of things, like, what do you look at? And you're kind of like, hmm, that's a stretch. I'm not sure about yeah, that. Um, yeah. Overall, I really liked the film. I think it was a really good movie. Um, a lot of those nostalgia feels and, you know, the things that they related back to the original. Um, I really... Obviously, the step up that I immensely enjoyed was just the sheer fighter, you know, footage that they had the entire time. Like from the beginning, when you know the the initial song kicks off and you're you're instantly back to the first time you saw the movie. Um, I saw it on IMAX. If if anyone out there hasn't seen it on IMAX, highly recommend it. I saw it on incredible. IMAX. Yeah, it was incredible. And just like yeah. the sheer power of the sound coming from 
the screen. Yep. Uh, it felt very real, like very, very real. Well, and all the footage is real, 100% too, real. from the... Yeah, well, yeah. I'd say I'd say 99%. I'll, I'll kind of maybe touch on a couple of things where I clearly it wasn't, but... Um, Oh, please do. Yeah. Um, but to see and feel that. So this is this is like my my overall view on the, the movie. Top Gun 1 did so much for not only the Navy, but really all aviation in general, um, inspiring new generations of people to, to come and join. And honestly, everyone that I know that flies fighters has has seen and loves Top Gun for the most part, you know. Um, well, that's pretty telling totally, right there. Yeah. You know, it, it definitely did a lot. Um, I expect similar things to come from this movie. Um, what I loved about the difference here is, you know, I was telling my wife about this is she's seen me at the airport. She's seen me fly around the airport and land and, and come in and, um, you know, celebrate the, Hey, my last flight in the squadron or that kind of thing. So she's been around aircraft. We've gone to air shows. She's seen, you know, Thunderbirds or Blue Angels. Have you ever been able to take her up or anything? Um, never flying. She got she got what's called a, a taxi day kind of thing where she got all dressed up with me. Her and I went out to the jet and I taxied around with her to the runway and then plugged it into full okay. afterburner and went down the runway pretty fast. Couldn't take off. That's it was pretty, pretty cool. cool. It was yeah. pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Um, for her, it was like getting the full emotions of in the airplane, the smells, the feels, the the sights, you know, yeah, and then sure. hearing all the radio communication. She's like, "Wow, you're you're doing a lot." I'm like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> Not just playing around. <laughs> yeah, this is legit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I say I'm going to work, I'm going, I'm going to work. <laughs> um, so all that being said, like even with, I'd say she has an above average knowledge of what it's like to be a fighter pilot just as a, as a lay person, right? She's never done it. She's seen it. She's been around it for, you know, 10 plus years. What I think Top Gun 2 did that I really appreciate is it then took it to the next level and let you see more into what we do when we leave the airport. When, you know, we're going training or even preparing for combat or even in a combat situation, whether that's the high and fat or the, the low and fast, you know, going through canyons um, doing pops to drop in those, the, uh, the laser guided weapons, um, flying around the mountains and the G's like seeing the G's on their faces and everything is real. Like those were, those were real feelings. G's on their faces. Yeah. So like when, when you're watching Tom fly, oh, he's in the backseat, right? He's not actually flying any of this. Um, right, but yeah. he's, he is now being susceptible to the same forces that anybody would be if they were flying. So when you're on a roller coaster at Lagoon or wherever, and you're at the bottom of that hill, those are uh, like, you, know, you kind of feel yourself getting pushed into the seat. That is what we call G's. So right now, currently we're at one G, but at, at the bottom of that little roller coaster, you're probably at like two and a half to three G's. And that's two and a half times your, your body weight just pushing down on you. And that's kind of what's pushing you. Okay, so you're like when when they're coming out of that big, I don't even know because they're after the canyon, they go up and over yep. the mountain, and then they have to go down a really narrow yep. area. And then when they're coming back up, he me- he mentions to his team, "Are you ready to have two thousand right. pounds of force coming down yep. on you?" And that's exactly what he's talking about. And you know that was a little embellished uh, in my opinion, but but right. he he really did a good job, or the movie did, of kind of portraying 
the forces that it's going to take on you and and they're real and it's kind of like what i talked about with pilot training like you these affect you and if you're not hydrated and if you're not ready um you know there's plenty of people that i know stories of that will will black out as they did in the movie right remember when the guy the the black kind of yeah. man that's called g lock which yeah. is g loss of con- consciousness um and no kidding the blood is getting pushed from your brain to your feet and your vision will go away. And, um, yeah. and you got to prepare for it and you train from it from the beginning. We, we trained it for G's. Um, so like to be able to see all that put together in, into somewhat of a, a pretty decent plot, um, was allows the public to kind of get a better idea of what we do out there. Um, because when I leave the airport and the, the plane flies away and you can no longer hear it, okay well i guess it's time to go to lowe's you know like it's just move on with my yeah, life yeah. um and but in reality you know especially here in utah like there's f-35s flying around all the time all day and you'll hear them you'll see them in the parking lot and you'll see them flying around i-15 as they're on their way to the desert but when they get out there is when they're actually doing the real job and so like that that piece has been missing in my in my opinion um because you know you see all these airplanes you see shooting cool missiles on videos, but the training and the amount of preparation required to go out and do those missions is immense and years and years of, of training required for people to go and, and do it well and, and be, be such that we have confidence in our, our military and our air force and Navy to go out and, you know, defend our country, defend our constitution in the way that we can. So, yeah. What's the longest you've ever flown in one of those fighters? Um, so I think my longest deployment uh, flight was like 11 to 12 hours. Um, so okay. where I deployed, it was in 2015 um, during the height of like ISIS type stuff. And mm-hmm. so our jets were in uh, the United Arab Emirates down you know, in UAE. and But we'd be flying over Iraq and Syria. Um, so you take... And that was, you were doing that regularly. Yeah, so we were there for six months. Uh, I did 60, 60 combat sorties during that time. Um, and so we'd take off out of the UAE, meet up with a tanker, uh, so an air-to-air refueling tanker, um, and we'd refuel two to three times on the way up, so all the way up the Arabian Gulf. And you got Iran on the right side and um, you know Kuwait and um, Qatar and all those places on the left, all the way on, on your way up. Um and then you get into Iraq and you're flying over Baghdad um, towards Syria and you refuel one more time. And then off the off the tanker, you push into Syria with just you and your little, your wingman. And uh, yeah, you go to work. And so. Well, what, uh, so what, what, what can I ask you about when it comes to these type of things? Cause I don't yeah, even know. Ask like, away what... and then I'll tell you if I can't say stuff, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, are you, when you talk about going, when you say going to work, like, are, are you like, you firing off some missiles, you dropping some bombs? Like what, what's going yeah, on I've never, here? I've never shot a missile uh, in combat, but dropped plenty of bombs. Um, and, you know, at the, if you can remember back the, those days, dude, ISIS took over Syria. Like they had everything and they pushed right. into a lot of Iraq too. Um, and so we were, I think the, uh, I think we were the third deployment cycle so we're we're like a year into isis um and it was very much um isis is everywhere and the kurds were still pushing back 
it was in the news every day. Right. So, um, yeah, every one of my sorties were, was either over Western Iraq or over Syria. Um, and I'd say, I don't know, I put a number to it. 75% of the, the flights I did, I would be dropping weapons on ISIS targets. Um, yeah. And have, have you ever been fired upon? Um, do not fire until fired upon. Isn't that a, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's exactly. It. Uh, I don't know. Probably. Um, so ISIS didn't really have much that could reach up and touch us. We'd stay pretty high altitude, typically, um, and so and that's really to mitigate any threat that they might have. So um, you're honestly like flying as low as those guys were in the movie. Your biggest threat is some idiot on the edge of a cliff with an AK-47 and a magic golden BB that takes out your jet, you know? Yeah. So we, we would stay, yeah. we'd stay pretty high up just cause like the risk to America and Americans is not, wasn't high. And so we would, we would mitigate that risk by staying pretty, pretty high up like 25, 30,000 feet or so. Um, gotcha. But yeah, we'd still, I mean, Dude. you can still accurately hit trucks, people, vehicles, buildings. How high up? Yeah, like 25,000 feet or so. And, you know, if every 6,000 feet is a mile, so you're talking three to four to five miles in altitude. And then you would also be four to 10 miles away laterally. Um, so if that, what that picture should paint in your mind is you're, you're at distances where you can't, like you can like look around and see that there's a some buildup out there of a city or something. But we're accurately placing weapons into windows and cars um, from that far away. Like it, it goes to show that the technology out there is incredible, and um, the the skill and the training that we put in is is high as well. But it, like American ingenuity is is an amazing thing to create these vehicles that can fly for hours, refuel off of other aircraft, and precisely placed weapons and positions to you know to complete missions is it's incredible it's really cool what so along those lines and this is somewhat not it's not i wouldn't call it a theme in top gun but it definitely gets mentioned uh are you guys going to be replaced by drones eventually like yeah i think um yeah it, i don't know elon musk has a big thing a couple months ago he kind of talked about that like the last man fighter i don't know what he knows obviously a lot more than me because he <laughs> maybe in some respects, but I can't imagine he has access. No, to classified yeah, that's true. So, you know, the, so the next, they kind of, they alluded to a little bit. So we have, I fly a fourth, fourth gen plus fighter. So the F-15 is a fourth generation fighter. The F-22, F-35, that's what they, they kept talking about fifth generation fighter, you know, um, yeah yeah that's so, right they did mention that a bunch with the enemy yeah specifically. so yeah. the the fifth gen is like the the stealth is the, the part that adds the fifth gen and when i say stealth it's not like i can't see the airplane i can obviously see it but it's with radar specifically um so it has mm. it has the ability to to go undetected to different areas via radar you know um the next generation, um, they're already developing it. Uh, you can Google this. Uh, there's not a lot of details, and I honestly don't have a lot of information either um, that I can talk about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so it's called, if you Google NGAD, N-G-A-D, it stands for Next Generation Air Dominance Fighter. So NGAD Fighter. 
So it's like the sixth gen, and it's going to be a combination of manned and unmanned platforms. And they've alluded to this for a few years. Essentially, if you kind of the concept is I take off and I might bring three or four drones with me um, and I can control them airborne. And instead of me pushing into China and risking my pink butt, you know, to take down Beijing, I can send these drones out ahead of me that obviously won't risk human life. And you'll be in the air at the same time. That's the concept. Yeah. And cause in reality, like the current, the current drone systems that we have are phenomenal in what's called ISR. So like in information gathering, intelligence gathering, watching bin Laden, you know, drink his coffee for days and days. Right. So, but it's very, it's very narrow focused on, you know, the war of the past, whereas where we need to go is incorporating AI and machine learning and being able to let these machines think on their own, um, but be coordinated with the human still in the loop is the concept. So, um, yeah, it'll, there's a lot of details to come out. I'm not familiar with all of them, obviously, but, um, I think the future is to have a man machine relationship um, but to take a man out of the loop completely is far-fetched, in my opinion, in the next 30-plus years. So we got at least another generation of, of, you know, our children flying jets, in my opinion. But maybe in the future? I don't know. Gotcha. What's that Jessica Biel yeah. movie, Stealth or whatever? Isn't it? Where she... I don't think I know that one. Yeah, it's like she flies this airplane that now takes on its life of its own. And anyway, it's a futuristic oh, type thing. Figure. Yeah. Um, I wasn't planning on asking a politically based question, but I'm, my curiosity got the best of me. Feel free to abstain from any specific opinions here, but I am curious in case there is a, any type of sentiment or culture about the military and how it may change from president to president. That's a good question. Um, you know, the president in office is always my commander in chief, right? So um right now that being said i'm still a voting citizen of america and i have that right um i'd say some of my rights are subdued and i sign up for those like i'm not going to go to uh, a political rally in my uniform like that's not appropriate and right and, um i think illegal for us to do that um and we all have our opinions what i'll say is i have seen in i, I say during the trump administration um you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by millennials, right? As we all are. And so everyone's kind of my age or younger. And now that I'm in the, in the twilights of my, or at least kind of cresting in my, in my career. Um, and a lot of people had frustrations with President Trump and I can understand that. There's similar ones that you hear all over with the way he used his social media accounts and, and, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. What I'll say is I'd say the, the military in general, uh, since I've seen it, it tends to be more conservative. Um, I'd say most people in the, in the are there real quick. So sorry, were there military ramifications for how he used his Twitter account? Uh, I never felt anything personally. Um, that's a sincere question, by the way. Like I'm not yeah. like that's not me being like, oh, what do you mean? It's more like because I obviously can't remember every one of his tweets, yeah. but I could imagine that he was fairly aggressive with how he talked about the U S and what we wanted to achieve and accomplish and whether or not that was from a military perspective on, I don't know. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's thrown that out there. And if like 
military sees that he's tweeting something aggressive about military force or at least nodding at that, then the military could be like, oh gosh, like we have to deal with this I, now or something. You know, I don't know. I think, that's, why, I think that's where that question what, what comes to mind is uh, towards the end of the presidency, the story is that, you know, General Milley, uh, who was the chief of staff that, or the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, was concerned that China thought we were going to launch nukes on them, right? And the story is that he took it upon himself to contact his counterparts in China and to, you know, calm the fears. Whether that's true or not, uh, I'll leave it up to the, the listeners. But um, I, I never felt anything personally. I think if you look at the the record of President Trump, you know, we didn't ever start wars under him, right? Um, so, well, speaking of ISIS, well, yeah, I mean, he, they they say he, he, yeah, and so I mean, it, it all started under President Obama uh, when I was when I was there, and then. Um, you know, by the time I got to, yeah, by the time I got to the deployment, it was president Trump's presidency. Um, and we, we took it from there. So I, I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough question. It's just so far removed at some points, but others, obviously I get that. big strategic yeah. decisions were made by him. Right. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was just curious. Cause I know, I mean, there's, I mean, from, from president to president, you know, it's, and the quick one is just like you get budget cuts or you yeah. get budget influxes. Like it just depends. Right. And I was just curious if there's like where, if you even feel that as an individual in the military, I feel, I feel like it's pretty, well, there, there's been a couple of interesting ones. Um, I remember sitting in um, like a briefing with my squadron commander in England and they come in and talk about this under president Obama, I believe how they were going to, it was weird. It was like, all right, guys, you know, great week this week. You know, we flew a lot. Oh, I also got to read this thing. Um, transgender surgeries are now approved. Uh, it was just like, so like nonchalant at the end. I'm like, wait, what yeah. are we talking about? You know, and <laughs> it, it definitely caught me off guard. Um, the other one to, that comes to mind is, you know, Secretary Austin right now is the, who's the um, Secretary of Defense with the January 6th stuff and he came down with his, the, like, I think it was like 60 days, 60 days down or something to uh, root out extremism in the military, um, which surprised me. Like I, I never had kind of associated stuff with that. Um, and there was a concern that obviously there was some extremism in the military, whether it was there or not. Um, I don't know. We did our, our job and we had our discussion and moved on, but so those types of things, I think, are definitely influenced. Um, uh, the the politicization of you know the vaccine for COVID uh, with the military is really an interesting one to me. Um, I have friends who are currently still on the hook of maybe being separated from the military for refusing the vaccine, and it's like, guys, we've moved on. Like it, the world has has moved on from this, and people's decisions from, you know, two years ago are still affecting them. Um, which is interesting to me, you know, like I, I won't give my full opinions on it. I guess you could probably infer from that, but, um, (laughs) but yeah. So I, would say there are times when the military is a a political piece that is used by both administrations, um, or either side, I wouldn't say both, but either, either side of the administrations, you know, but, um, we just, you know what though, like end of the day is we're a bunch of bros, uh, you know, men and women who want to go out and have fun and rage through the canyons and drop bombs and, uh, do the Lord's work, uh, out over 
wherever he needs us to go, you know? So. Sounds pretty dope, man. <laughs> um, as we sign off here, I want to get uh, your just kind of, if you have any uh, closing thoughts on kind of the Top Gun and watching that and what that experience was like, yeah. or just anything, anything else. Uh, I'll, I'll hit a before. couple of these real quick. And if you have follow-ons, we can, we can talk more about them. But so here's like the things that I thought they didn't do right. Um, or we're just embellished a little bit. Like the whole, the whole, sorry, spoiler alert for any of those that haven't watched the movie yet. Ah, I mean, okay. We're, if you haven't, honestly, okay. if you haven't seen it by now, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll give a warning. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like, do not listen. Okay. Yeah. So the whole, the whole like initial scene with the, the Dark Star airplane thing that they had, you know what I'm talking about? Like the black SR, I think the, oh, right in the beginning. The, the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm 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 glad you're bringing this up because I was I was fascinated by what this plane even was. Yeah, but yeah. It's honestly, it's, it's it was very overt that it was a Lockheed Martin paid advertisement for the first twenty minutes, <laughs> like a hundred percent. Like it, it was even on his stick. It said Lockheed Martin, and the, like the skunk on the tails is from Skunk Works, which is the guys that developed the F one seventeen and the SR seventy one, like. It's a big deal. Like those are, it's really cool. But I just felt like the whole, it just was not even part of Top Gun. Like, like why are we, why are we? I actually would agree with that. It it just felt like, yeah. Like if anything, let's have a whole different movie and let's talk about this plane and the development of it. Like that seems cool to me. And the footage that they had, I was like, this is pretty sweet. But has nothing to do with Top Gun, in my opinion. Um, That's a really good point. I mean, it almost is kind of like. You might be right. They might have had some like backdoor deals where they're like, hey, Lockheed Martin is going to basically fund this movie, but we have to make something totally. like we have to make a point to highlight this plane. And they're like, well, then let's just do it at the beginning and get it over with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, and you're going to Top Gun. You're like, wait, what? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, wait, huh? It was, it was very, <laughs> he just very destroyed strange. like a billion dollar plane or whatever, but then he gets to go and teach at Top yeah, Gun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple other things randomly like dude his uniform they did a really good job of everyone else except for him and i think they made him stand out and i don't know why like his his wings and it said top gun underneath his wings and then a pete mitchell mm-hmm. like it wouldn't say pete it would have maverick on there um it was missing an entire like patch on the other side which everybody else had why is yours different you know like why did you guys yeah i don't yeah. know that that stuff kind of bugged me um so let's 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 talk about Top Gun, for example. So these guys go there, and we have the same thing in the Air Force. Ours is six months; theirs is only six weeks. Just saying, um, I I did not go. <laughs> I, I did not go to either of these. But you you essentially go, and you're you're the literally you become the best instructors, and you're supposed to then go back, and you are the lead instructor in the squadron. And there's like one to two of these guys in a squadron usually. Um, so there's not many of them. And if let's say that what's called Iran, because that makes sense. Iran is no kidding. Going to start this uranium enrichment thing that we're going to go and take it down. There is no way that a, an old 30 plus year Colonel is going to come up with the plan of how to take this thing down. Like literally <laughs> it's going to come on to people like my age that have been doing this and are tactically like superior and relevant. Because at a certain point in your career, you atrophy and you start doing other things that don't involve flying and don't involve being tactically proficient. 
And so a guy like Pete Mitchell or any of the other admirals that were briefing these guys, it would be the complete opposite. So they would be sitting down and receiving the briefs from all the Top Gun graduates of how they are going to go out and execute this thing. And so anyway, mm-hmm. I thought that was a very humorous part of like turning the tables, almost trying to make it forcing that like the younger guys are learning from the older guys when in reality that wouldn't, would not have been happening. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it, it almost like denigrated the roosters and those types of people just being average Joes. But in reality, they already went through the school. Like they've already been there, done that. They've already gone back to their squadrons. Like these guys are the peak and they would. Yeah, and that says that in the movie, like they're the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. We're the best. And who's going to teach us, you know, like, uh yeah, cringeworthy yeah, yeah, yeah. cringeworthy lines like that um anyway that was something interesting that i thought of that i was like okay that, that's not real um the the sequence you you kind of brought up and i'm glad you noticed it like <laughs> they figured out this way to get all the way to the target but then their best option to get out is fly right into the missile systems and have them get shot down like <laughs> no dude yeah, like, there's yeah. no way um <laughs> and so in addition to that, what's funny is all of these missile systems that you're seeing are real, but they're all, they're all radar guided missile systems. So when these guys are like hitting this big red button on the side and popping out all these flares, those are for decoying thermal or IR missiles. They have nothing, they will do nothing against the radar missile. (laughs) And so like, it looks really cool in, in Hollywood. But in reality, it does. Yeah. they would just get schwacked with one of these things that they're flying around. Oh, freak. that's <laughs> funny, man. That's this is, this is the type of content we want. Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like I said, like we do have other decoys um, that can decoy radar, but you wouldn't see anything. Like it would just be invisibleness, you know, since it wouldn't it wouldn't look yeah, good yeah. Um, for Hollywood. So, um, sure, yeah. The other weird one for me was um, the scene where I think it was Phoenix and Bob were flying around um, and they, they soak up those birds, right? The bird strike and they lose an engine and then things are going off and they shut down the engine and lose another engine. And then they crash two things on this. First off, like bird strikes are very normal. Like they happen all the time. I've had plenty of bird strikes and sometimes they can be catastrophic like this for sure. Um, so I'd say that is very realistic. Um, the point that I want to make is like, I don't understand. This is a, this is a dig against the movie. They like ejected. And then the next day they were just in class. Like there was, there was a a huge plot hole of like them landing in their parachutes. And just like in the first one, having the helicopters roll out there and pick them up, take them to the hospital make sure they're good. You know, like there's a whole lot. Like there's of a decompression period totally. for sure. Like, right. Could you imagine yeah. going through, like, I bet Bob's legs are broken, you know, and we didn't even talk about yeah. it. And why is rooster concerned about it? Like Maverick goes in there. He's like, rooster, we all lose wingmen if you haven't done it yet. And like, he wasn't even there, you know, like what's the big deal? Like, why is he all worried <laughs> about this? Anyway, yeah. I thought that was a, an interesting yeah. uh, little plot. And then the last thing I'll, I'll bring up, um, was it confusing to you that some guys had uh, a backseater, like a Wizzo, and some didn't? It's like Maverick. Yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, like I, I I didn't know the dynamics there. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily that I was confused. I just chalked it up to I don't I don't understand. Yeah, and so I'm just gonna like let that ride. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't explained to me at all. And I, I think like. I think this was a part that they they dropped the ball on because the F18 is super awesome. So the Rhino is the current one, the Super Hornet, um, and they call it the Rhino. And there's there's different variants of it. There's a two seat version, and there's also a single seat version. So, and they, they alluded to it, but they never really like cemented that that's what they were executing or these tactics with one jet being two seat, one jet being single seat. And it just was like, it was just clunky to me. Um, it, it wouldn't take yeah. much to just explain it and have people like, oh, okay. So they're just, they're completely different aircraft. Okay. That makes sense. Whereas it's like, well, why, why does Maverick not have a backseater? But you know, Phoenix does, you know, um, I thought though that the, the way that they portrayed a Wizzo, you know, I, I'm a jet that has Wizzo's weapon system officers, what it calls, what it stands for. Um, in the original Top Gun, they called him Rio, which is radar intercept officer. Um, and I love flying with another guy, like with a, with a friend. Like for the most part, it is a very enjoyable time to be able to be together, bounce ideas off each other, catch each other's mistakes. You know, it's it's a good thing. Yeah. The way that they portrayed Bob, first off, naming him Bob, and then like making him the most nerdy dude in the room, um, yeah. Yeah. is I, I don't know. So here's here's the thing: the Air Force and the Navy, these are like second class citizens. Honestly, like the way that they're treated sometimes is as if they're not as good as pilots. Um, and I'm very sensitive yeah. to that. I have a lot of my friends that are wizards and that are extremely good at their jobs. And to me, it's an insult to, to treat him as such. However, then you like cement it in the, in the hallows of Hollywood <laughs> by like naming some guy Bob and making him a super nerd, Bob. you know? And um, anyway. Like, and, and like, he's still got a pretty good body, but like not nearly up to snuff like everybody else. <laughs> he's gonna keep it, you keep your shirt on, Bob, when we're doing the, the football scene. Yeah, Everyone exactly. else can Bob, take it up. Bob doesn't get to take his shirt and off. Goose did the yeah. same thing. Enjoy the beach football scene. Dude, Goose had the same thing. What's that? Goose was the Rio, and oh, he had true. his shirt on, you know? Um, that's a good point. That's hilarious, dude. Yeah. I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. Uh, I'm sensitive to it, but I, I think it was a, a funny thing, but... Uh, end of the day, dude, like what a great movie. Um, the F-14 scenes were really cool. I've seen some videos that those were, was a real F-14 that they pulled it in from a museum. Obviously didn't fly, but like that was extremely realistic. Um, seeing them fly around Star Wars Canyon, which is out there in uh, the Death Valley in California or up in Alaska. I've flown in all these places. It was awesome. I'd say, I think they sped up, uh, cool. they sped it up slightly. Like seeing the the airplanes bank and and they it looked a little bit fast, um, but whatever it's Hollywood. It you know it's a summer blockbuster that hopefully inspires generations to come. So it'd be good for sure. Well, real quick, the when you said the part that was realistic, the F eighteen. Are you talking about when they like revived that? Yeah, the F, the, the Tomcat, jet. the F fourteen. So when they like they landed in that country. Oh, F fourteen. Yeah, and they went and stole the airplane. Yeah. From what I gather, is they. They pulled in an F-14 from a museum and fixed it up, made it somewhat functional so that the canopy opens and everything. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that they, they were able to go and get the relic, like honestly, the, the original Top Gun wasn't about Maverick. It was about this aircraft. Like he was, he was, the right. F-14 was like a, a character in it. 
Um, and so to be revived in the new one, I thought was cool. I think that they left out the F-18. Like they could have given more love that they did to the F-14 to the F-18, but um, that's okay. It's neither here nor there, I guess. But. That's funny you say that. I would not have thought that that was considered somewhat of a realistic part of the movie. I thought that would have been more on the unrealistic side. Uh, that's fascinating. I mean, I think the fact that they used the F-14 uh, and flew it around, obviously that was fake, right? The flying of the F-14 was fake. But I thought it was pretty good. Right. Like the fight scenes used with it, the fight scenes with the F-18s also, they were very well done and realistic. Like it, it felt as close as you know you can probably get um, to to actually going out and doing it. So I hmm. consider like when man. you guys see this movie, I'd say take it with a grain of salt. But you're about as close as flying a fighter as you, you're going to get um, for the most people, which is pretty cool. I think they did a good wow. job with that. That is cool. All right, two more things before I let you go. Um, have I guess I'd okay. So the order of which I want to ask them. One's quick. What's your call sign? So my call sign is Slider, and uh, so sli- slider Slider S L I D E R Slider yeah. Slider. Okay. So Slider is also in the original Top Gun. He was uh, Iceman's backseater. Um, oh, that's right. And he says hi. Hey, Slider. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I honestly get that probably weekly. People come up to me probably, probably well, weekly. Add me to that list. <laughs> it's good. I, I enjoy it. And but he didn't make the cut yeah. this video, which made me sad. You know, but that's okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they had a lot of callbacks. Slider was not one of them. That's unfortunate. But wait, what made you choose Slider? So um, call signs are not chosen. They're they're definitely given to you. Um, and, oh, they are. Yeah, so they're they're all based off of things, usually dumb things that you do, or cool things that you do. Um, so, yeah, my my call sign comes from my, the deployment that I had over Syria, um, and I dropped a weapon on an ISIS target, and there was a communication failure of my uh, of my flight lead. I was a young wingman. And so he's, he's watching the target and the targeting pod and like the screen in his airplane. And all of a sudden the truck just blows up. And so he's like, well, like what, what just happened? And, um, he's like, Hey, did you, did you drop a bomb? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you have, did you have permission? I'm like, yeah. Like, didn't you hear all of this? And so slider is actually an acronym and it stands for screw lead. I'll drop everything regardless. And <laughs> yeah, so that's amazing. It's pretty man. good, you know. Luckily, everything, oh, that's everything so went good. well. Like everything was fine. It didn't break any rules. But he was freaked out. Like, what the hell did you just do? You know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's what that's hilarious, man. Yeah. Good dude, good stuff. Okay, and then have you ever done a flyover? And yeah, I guess have you ever done a flyover? Yeah, so this has been a fun thing. I've done flyovers in NAS, uh, NASCAR race in Richmond, um, an Eagles Patriots game uh, in Philadelphia, and then did the flyover uh, two years ago at BYU, and then the last year I did the one uh, against Utah. Um, the did you really? yeah, I'll send you the video. It's pretty sick. Um, so that one I was on the ground. Yeah, for, please do. Which honestly, like, I prefer to not be flying in these because you get to do all the coordination and the flyover happens, and then you get to enjoy the game. Which obviously, that game is probably one of the best games I've ever been to in my life. Like, probably top five. Oh, yeah. you know, um, yeah. As far as lives, I wasn't there, but 
Yeah, and then I was able to watch the rest of the movie or rest of the game from the field, and it was awesome. Obviously, it was great. So, yeah, uh, flowers are fun. Uh, They're a great time, you know. um, And being able to meet the people afterwards and you know hear their enjoyment of everything is pretty cool. Dude, I'll tell you, man, witnessing flyovers for whatever reason is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Just period. It's just, it's very emotional for some reason. And I'm curious if that emotion is two-sided. Um, you know, like if if you can feel it as you're doing it or if it's just more kind of business as usual. A little bit of both. I'd say there's there's definitely some anxiety hitting the timing right, you know, and making sure you're you're going to nail the timing and you're not in control of that, right? You're just giving a literal time. Right. I want you to be over the field at, you know, I don't know, 17, 25 and 36 seconds, you know, like literal, here's a plus or Usually during like the national anthem anthem. at some point in this song. Yeah. And what happened this last one is, um, it was the, uh, the, well, it was, it was two BYU games ago that I did. The band was playing and they were late or they were, they were long or something. I don't, I forget what it was. And it just messed up the timing. It just doesn't look right, you know? Um, so n- right, nailing the yeah. timing is important from, from both sides. But what you see in the, in the jet is you just, and okay, there goes the stadium. You know, like, so like it, it's, it's anticlimactic, yeah, yeah. you know? But you do know that they're, like, the feeling in the crowd is there, the power and everything. So, yeah, I was going to say, you experience them I'm already, on the other I side so you know i think we're doing the baylor byu game uh this year and in fact harper we should like organize a reunion for all of our freshman bros to whether Dude, that is that I'm game in. or one of the games that we all just like come back let's get kyler back and chris and all these Dude, guys. kyler he's out he's back east right, right. now uh well so Clay, Clay and I still keep in touch yeah. regularly, obviously, because we were childhood friends, but um, I bet Clay would be down. Uh, and Jake, I had on the podcast right. earlier this year. Right. I don't know if you caught yeah, that one. Yeah, because Jake's been going through a lot of stuff right now, but his attitude's been incredible throughout his whole like cancer yeah. diagnosis and everything. And But yeah, dude, it'd be awesome. It'd be great to see everybody in one place again. That'd be fun. Be we fun. should do that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, man. Well, Clark, dude. Slider, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really, this was this was this was awesome just to catch up with you for one. But like, the, you brought it, dude. You brought the heat. Like, this is <laughs> I I already know like tons of people are going to enjoy listening to your stories and everything and your experiences. So thanks again, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sorry, it took a little bit longer than the twenty minutes you wanted, but <laughs> I hope it's good, dude. Dude, if anybody's got to apologize, it's me because I'm sure your time is precious. Oh, no, you're no. father of two, and you got your wife, obviously, and so I. uh I'm, I was happy to get this time out of you, quite frankly, because these stories were amazing. So, thanks, man. And what I'll say, uh, I'll give you my email if anybody wants question has questions, follow on stuff. I'm happy to always entertain. If you have sons and daughters out there that want to join the Air Force or become a pilot, I'm always happy to help people and guide people around. It's that's definitely a passion of mine. Awesome, thanks, brother. Much appreciated. Best of luck with everything. But let's we'll stay in touch for sure. Thanks, Harper. All right. Gracing me with his presence, once again, recurring guest, John Stevens. I'm so happy to have you here in studio to join me, specifically to talk about the top five Ray Liotta movies and the nuance behind them, starting, I believe, with Marriage Story is where we landed, and then all the way to Hubie Halloween. 
And we're really going to get deep into this. I'm ready to get deep in Hubie Halloween for sure. <laughs> uh, that's a curveball. Right. Yeah, are you ready? No. I mean, we could do, we could, I could go two or three. I don't know if I could do five. If I'm I lost ready. a few. R.I.P. to Ray. R.I.P. Right. If I lost a few listeners just from that little snippet alone, I totally get it. But no, today, so we're going to talk, we're gotta, we got to talk, talk. We got to talk Top Gun 2, Maverick specifically, um, and then we're going to get into a whole discussion about Tom Cruise. I know it. What a freaking, film. I love that man. A great movie. So just to give you my kind of initial thoughts, that, and I'll, I'll pass it to you. I don't know about you, but coming out of the parking lot of the movie theater, it's unfortunate that my car doesn't measure velocity and mock. Because I'm pretty sure I was like right around Mach one leaving mm-hmm. that parking lot. I was so pumped, dude. Felt similar to like coming out of like a Fast and Furious. Like yeah, it really was trying right? to chirp a gear on the way out. Absolutely, Seriously. yeah. Get to getting up to nine point six, nine point seven, trying to hit the exactly hit the threshold. Ten point yeah. three, I think, and then before absolute, you just combust. Absolute thrill ride. Absolutely, I definitely. I mean, danger zone all the yeah, way home right. for me. No, Seriously, no question. No, no question. I so Ugh. talk about feeling the need for speed. I. The, no joke. My initial thoughts coming out of this theater, I had the same exact feeling, and you may you may laugh me off of the podcast with this one, but I had the same exact feeling I had walking out of Jurassic World. The idea behind it being, it was just refreshing to come out of this amazingly well done action movie. Now I know there's a quite the discrepancy in terms of how those movies went about with the action because one was full CGI and the other was like the anti CGI. But I think the reason why Top Gun Maverick hit with a lot of people was just because it was so straightforward. I, I fully agree, and I think I agree they're different movies. And personally, well, we won't get into it, but I do think the thing that they both did really well is, like, um, hit hit the right balance of, like, nostalgia while still, like, being just a really good movie on their own. And, like, Top Gun Maverick is just... It's an A-plus for me. Yeah. I guess we'll get into our reviews early here, but, like... <laughs> Like to, I mean, they've waited what that came out in what eighty six, I think. Sounds right. Pre, yeah. Pre our births. Pre veneers. Like, Tom Cruise. Yeah, he still had the snaggle, that <laughs> yeah. snaggle tooth yeah, exactly. hadn't, hadn't quite been fixed up yet, but I mean, he looked even better then. But it may be better now. Who can say? That's, <laughs> Who could that's, say? that's the miracle of Tom Cruise. Um, but I I do think like balancing all of the nostalgia plus now like. 35 years or whatever it is now of like people loving Tom Cruise, the um, like love for that movie and, and kind of the, the camp and the um, I mean like Top Gun isn't a great movie, but it's a, but it's a good movie. It's, or it's not a good movie, but it's a great movie. If that makes sense. That like, actually does make sense. Uh, it does. Cause but, and I think Top Gun Maverick is both. And so like to be able to, play up all the nostalgia and like hit all those great points that people love to the first movie. We can talk about all like the awesome little nods, I think to the first one. Um, but also like have like, I think a, a pretty tight plot and a plot that makes sense and that fits in like the current action movie landscape. I think there's, um, it's kind of funny. Like I think the third act of it, I don't know how deep we want to get into it, but I think oh, the third act it. of it, like, it does if it turns a little mission impossibly, which I love those movies. So yeah. like I was fine with that. Like once they, I guess full spoiler alert on this conversation yeah, I, as well. At this of, point, like kind of we want to stay there. away. I don't yeah, know. no, no, no. I think here's the thing: when you have a movie that grossed 
over I think they've already passed 150 million yeah. um, in the first week. I, I mean, think yeah. I think spoiler alerts are completely allowed. Is yeah. that the threshold? Yeah. I think that's the threshold. If you were if you were going to see it, it's been a week now basically from when the movie comes out to this pod. So we saw it over a week ago, you and I. Yeah. Or a week ago today. Yeah. So you had your chance. Um, over a week ago for when this pod gets released. That's so, right. Um, Way to expose me. Well. <laughs> this he, is, hey, this pod is dropping less than 12 hours from when we're yeah, recording this, so how about that? Yeah, lay off him. Um, listeners. But I think, um, and I think that's sort of how, like, I mean, Tom Cruise sort of, he is like a major producer for the Mission Impossible movies. He was a major producer and like kind of creative voice on this movie as well, it seems like. And so it sort of makes sense that there's a kind of a similar tone and feel, especially as it got to the end of it. But like, I love those movies. I think those are some of the best, if not the best action movies going right now, the last like three or four Mission Impossible movies. So the fact that there was a little bit of a similar tone and feel there is, I mean, you're not going to, that's not going to offend me. You're not going to, that's not going to be any problem for me. So I, overall, I thought it was an incredible movie just from the very beginning. I thought it was funny kind of how it started. Uh, that there was just kind of like nondescript, like fighter jets, naval, naval jets flying, landing on the carrier, taking off on the carrier, danger zones playing. Like it just was sort of like we know what you want. We're gonna start it off with this. We're gonna hit the people. Oh, get us right back into it. We're it gonna... really was like right where they left yeah. off. Yeah, and I think like then it gets into sort of where where. Captain Pete Mitchell is in his career at this point, and then it gets into the story, and we go from there. But I think they knew, like, we just gotta we gotta start off strong. We gotta start off on an aircraft carrier, like the first one did, right? We're like out with the squadron with with Mav and Goose and uh, what's his name that gives up his wings. So they go to Top Gun on the first one anyway. Cougar, Cougar, that's right. Um, so like the like the first one started, they're on a on an aircraft carrier, they're flying, and I think they kind of wanted to start this this one, wanted to start this one a similar way and just kind of get right into some of the familiar action sequences, which was a great start oh, in my book. So No hesitation there. I was actually bummed that we met, we didn't get a Tim Robbins cameo. Yeah, that, that would have been funny if he was like kind of hanging around at Top Gun. Like, yeah. To add to the ridiculousness of how he's like, what is he, like 6'8"? Yeah, like of him ever fitting in a fighter jet, it's exactly. a little comical, but which is funny actually. The guy I interviewed that was just on the first half of this pod. He's, I, if I remember right, Clark's like six one, he's six a little two. taller. Like he's too. not, mm-hmm. he's not small. I mean, I know you, you can fit him into a fighter jet, but I think Tom has no problem fitting in. I guess. We'll yeah, but leave it at that. I mean, does it matter whether or not you're if you're five seven in real life? Does does it, is it different if you're six three on film? Listen, I think that's the only thing they CGI in the Tom Cruise <laughs> movies is him, his well, height relative to other actors. Is it actors. CGI or is it a contract saying that all actors have to just like crouch down? Yeah, right next to I think there's, they can do a lot with the cameras these days. I can't talk bad about my guy. No. I love my guy too much. There will be no Tom Cruise bashing, ta- yeah, bad mouthing on this pod. Not no. while I'm here. Not, not allowed. Not on my watch. Well, that's another thing too is that I officially want to take this as a moment to say that I have come out of the Tom Cruise closet. Now, welcome. Yeah, I've been here waiting my whole life for yeah, you. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing: I've always liked him, and like in conversations on the side, I'll be like, "No joke, Tom Cruise movies are some of the most entertaining movies I watch these days." Like, and, and Jack Reacher is is a perfect example mm. 
of that because Amen. you're kind of like I don't even know what Jack Reacher is. I don't know Lee Childs. I don't know that book series mm-hmm. at all. But he make Tom Cruise comes out with this movie that seems at least remotely interesting, and you watch it, and I'm like, that movie was in, that was also fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's like that's a funny one too because like I, I didn't know a ton about the character, but the character is like based around his physical He's six five. Like especially yeah, with now really the, the Amazon Prime series kind of captures that yeah, exactly. character better. Right? It's like. He's super physically imposing. He's like this giant yeah. Sherlock Holmes, and it's Tom Cruise plays him, but yet still somehow makes like an entertaining movie. His, well, his just presence. with his like physical presence yeah. in a much different way, obviously not overpowering, but like his charisma and his like. You're gonna have to excuse the dog charm. in the background. Sorry about that. But. Uh, it's the dog or it's me. Who can say? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like Jack Reacher. I mean, for sure, like the Mission Impossible series. Like w- the first one is like all time. Just great movie yeah. in the midst of like an incredible run from him in the mid nineties, and then the second one is not great, but like the third one is kind of interesting. Philip Seymour Hoffman's like super interesting appearance in that one, the, and the, then the rest we can get into other stuff. But like the rest of that series since then, four, five, six, yeah, and, and now been, seven, part one. Like they're each one just keeps getting better, and like I think those are the best ones going. So. He's found a blueprint, and it's. It, we'll get into like kind of the, the Tom Cruise and where he's at right there with everything. But Top Gun, to me, I mean, the reason why, and this, I guess, this is somewhat of a hybrid of what we we're going to talk, what we were just talking about between like how amazing Tom Cruise is and how he's found this blueprint. Which his whole career is fascinating because he tried to take himself very seriously, and then he kind of stopped. And I almost want to say that Tropic Thunder was like the turning point there. <laughs> that that it's so funny how. Um... That like small little role, like seems seemed like it like revitalized and like changed his career. Was well, that also weird changed to his say? persona. Because like, what was right before that? Like, War of the Worlds, Mission Impossible Three. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can look this up. Actually, yeah, IMDb is a wonderful website. No free ads. Sponsor us, IMDb. <laughs> right, that's right. So right before, I've never heard of Lion for Lambs, but it was Mission Impossible Three that was within Lion a for Lambs. Years. Was, I think I've seen it. It's like a really bad. Um, I want to say him and Meryl Streep. He's like a senator or like a congressman. It's like an Iraq war kind mm. of a movie. But it's like it's slow. He's – anyway, it's not It's not good. So it's interesting. I mean he, he goes – I mean he never – he – I think you could argue that his whole career he's taking himself extremely seriously from the beginning all up until – I mean, I guess he makes a cameo uh, in Austin Powers' Gold Member, which is a little bit like, yeah, he's loosening up there. But then he goes but right back to Last Samurai, which was like his Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. Like he was trying to get an Oscar there. And he just fell short on that one, if I'm not mistaken. Was well, right around there. Well, I mean, but it's right. It had to be right around there, too, though. He's in Magnolia. Right. Well, Magnolia. So he's kind of. That's probably right after that. So he's still kind of in that frame. But I think it just reset. And then... But then I mean, he goes, Austin Bowers, Last Samurai, Collateral, War of the Worlds, collateral. Mission Impossible 3, Lion for Lambs. We could do a full pod on Collateral if you want to. That's true. Uh, then Tropic Thunder, and where he plays Les Grossman, and he yeah. has, like, honestly, of screen time, it's, it's less than 10 minutes in the entire movie. It's got to be yeah. something like that. But his presence is amazing because he doesn't even look like yeah, Tom Cruise. He's like the bald head, the giant hands... Fat suit. Super fat, like fat yeah. suit. It's like hair, hairy, super hairy, hairy knuckles. chest and knuckles. <laughs> Where's the key grip? Punch him. Really hard. And it was like from there he was able to kind of create yeah. this, this where he was able to mix both worlds. But I think part of it too, like this may be the, the part that we're not saying out loud, like that's kind of like the 
going crazy a little bit in the public life, right? Like that's jumping on the couch. Yeah. Era on Oprah, right? Like the Scientology part of it's getting a little more out there. Well, and that's why I went in the Tom Cruise so, closet. Because I'm like, it's not really cool to be yeah, a fan like, of Tom I mean, Cruise. I, I really wasn't. I think that's fair. Like you could maybe kind of appreciate his movies, but no joke. I mean, this and this is what I wanted to get back to with the Mission Impossible, or sorry, with the uh, with Top Gun effect, which was when he, I mean, it all started when he strapped himself to an actual plane in Mission Impossible. I can't remember which one, uh, but it was. I believe that is uh, Fallout. Fallout, the first Rebecca Ferguson one. Yes. And I'm, I remember hearing about, like, they actually strapped into a plane. They had to get his insurance company no, just, like, sign off Rogue on Nation. this. Rogue Take Nation. It, it, was, okay. it was the fifth one. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm sitting here thinking, well, like... I, I mean, I, I don't know how much... I don't. I think it was a little less practically done, but the it's the same thing with the Burj Khalifa one and Ghost Protocol, right? Like there, there was some practical stuff of that. Where what they did were they like, do for that one? I actually get not too familiar. The, with in that. Ghost Protocol, where they're like running on the outside of the tallest that tall building, the tallest building in Dubai. Yeah. Um, they're like. I mean, I, I, was I, don't, actually... I don't think it was quite as practically done, but there was some element where they were like up high, he like was running like... on the outside of a building. No way, but but then it, then it just keeps getting ramped up. Like he's strapped to a plane as it's getting yeah, and as that's, it's taking off. Well, and it's like, why do I go to movies to see how convincing somebody might get in a single scene? Which like I can appreciate that to some degree, but Tom Cruise created this new world for me where it's like I actually care about people doing their own stunts now. Yeah. I care about well, that. That's the, and I like, didn't realize how much I cared until I saw I him know. do it. That's what what's I've, has kind of bugged me about like the last ten years of movies. Like the Marvel movies are entertaining. They're whatever. They have their place. But like eh. you watch and like the, the part of uh, I listened to some of the interview you did with uh, your uh, fighter pilot. buddy, yeah. And when he was talking about like obviously they don't let Tom Cruise like fly real Department of Defense yeah. fighter jets. But like he's actually in the plane and is experiencing like the weightlessness, the G forces that you would experience. When if you're that in doesn't that happen. Dive, if Tom Cruise, right? If you're in a green screen, right? So like, yeah. if he, yeah, if Tom Cruise, like, any, like, there was some articles about like the fighter boot camp, basically that he forced all those other younger actors to do, where like they all had to experience all these different flying things and kind of go through like what these fighter pilots have to do in some of their training and stuff. Um, but like, you see that on the screen, and like, you see it with like the reality of what those those planes are doing, and like even like something as simple as the end of the movie. Um, with him and Jennifer Connelly like flying in that plane, like that was him flying. Was that actually? Yeah, him? I figured it was. Yeah. It was like he's got. Yeah, he can do that. He's got his that. pilot's license for like yeah. the those kind of planes and stuff. So like it wasn't like it wasn't like someone like that you couldn't see flying the plane or whatever. Like it was those two up in a plane and they were filming it. Like so, I mean that's I mean that's a smaller thing, but like it's, I think that it goes to it's show cool. like some of it. When that's it's not really a, happening. Like that translates. That's that's my point. Is like it's not really actually that small of a thing. I think it's a big deal because two things. I hope. I, I think Tom Cruise may have murdered two things. I think he may have murdered Marvel movies. Actually, that's not true because they have a blueprint that will always work with people for whatever reason. But no joke. It's the anti CGI movie that he's creating here, and he's done it for a while. But this was like the ultimate. Like this is all real, authentic. And then I think he might be murdering the Oscars too. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. These are the not movies that ever get considered by the Academy, but they are the what ones a, that have everybody's attention. And and you're talking talking about just kind of pop culture. What a, what a tragedy! I mean, it's it's it. it what, why do we watch movies? I do not care to see some woman making love to a f- man fish. 
I don't care about movies like that. Right. I don't care when the like, like Frank Langella can like nail it in Nixon versus Frost. The eighteen people saw. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah, and to you're shape just, of water. I'm not taking my. I'm not wasting my time. And when I go to a movie, I want to be. I want to have it be this release. I want to go away from reality. I don't want to have to think too deeply about some things. Sometimes. Well, most times I would say. And is anyone arguing that that's like Pete, that Tom Cruise isn't doing like good work? He's not like doing giving a good performance as he's no one would experiencing yeah. seven g's of weightlessness and in, yeah. in a in a vertical dive while giving a bird to the mig i'm crossing <laughs> movies now at this point but you know like i mean it, it's hard to say he's not like committed and giving a, a good performance like you know whatever you want to like say quote unquote oscar worthy is um it's funny you bring that up because i was i was kind of going through his his imdb um kind of as we were getting ready for this and and I watched some clips of some of his older movies like the like the run he he goes on early in his career um sorry I should have had this pulled up but the one one of the movies I was I was circling that this movie kind of is an interesting uh parallel to is uh, Color of Money I don't know if you're familiar Paul Newman Paul I actually Newman. was told to watch that movie one time and I think I lasted you, about 15 minutes before I fell asleep oh and no. never pulled it back up I hate again that. you need to pull it back I know I mean I've heard I mean, great things great, I, great movie and I, mean, I would I'm sure I have a, would have some high respect for a, it if I yeah the time. so a a Paul Newman but it's it's like an it's interesting Scorsese right Scorsese directed yeah. um pretty interesting movie because I think it was the movie Scorsese directed right before Goodfellas and like Scorsese kind of had had a couple of duds, and it like basically bought Scorsese the some cred to be able to do to go on to do what he has done. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's sort of like getting to the end of Paul Newman's career, and it's uh, he goes back to a role that he had done like twenty five years earlier in The Hustler, and he's mm. sort of passing the torch to this next movie star. Um, Which is kind of what people like, think of Tom Cruise. Basically, a point. sports movie. Yeah, like Tom. I mean, Tom Cruise. Pull up his IMDb. Like to that point, he's done. This is after. Uh, it's for sure after like Risky Business and um, All the Right Moves. But he does go into he goes into Cocktail um, and then Young Guns and then Rain Man and then Born yeah, on so, the Fourth of July. So all the Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Legend, which I'm not as familiar with. Um, but then it's Top Gun and Color of Money in the same year. So it's like at that point he's like got to be one of if not the biggest star in the world, and then he just keeps ripping them off from there. Cocktail Rain Man is like a ton of Academy Awards. Yeah, he didn't get one though. He, he got did, he didn't get. I don't know if he Hoffman got, came away. With Hoffman best won that one Best Picture, one Best Director. Like, did he even get like, nominated? I think he got nominated for Best Supporting, but like arguably, like he's the lead actor, and like arguably gives a better, like more important performance than Dustin Hoffman. Like, what's harder? Dustin Hoffman's sort of role there, or like acting off that as Tom Cruise. I actually think and that's like a good coming question. off likable by the end after like he kind of has to be a dick for most of that movie. Yeah, yeah. So he's, it's, it's anyway. manipulating, a, and then his, it keeps going. Yeah, but like I, it's I, just an interesting sort of like I don't want to get bogged down for this whole conversation in color of money, but like it's sort of an interesting like parallel of like aging, like superstar. Like Paul Newman was like one of if not the biggest star for a while. Like super likable. Did a lot of different kind of movies. I think, correct me, I might be wrong, but I think Paul Newman won the Academy Award for Color of Money for the first time, like had never won before. Oh, that was his like career. Like, like yeah, he'd been nominated a bunch of times right. and won for that for a role he'd done previously. So like the symmetry's there a little bit, and it's like they're never going to give Tom Cruise the Academy Award for coming back to play Pete. Pete, I keep wanting to say Pete Maravich. That's not his name <laughs> in Top Gun. Pete Mitchell. Pete Mitchell. Um, but like. 
and it's but sort of the same thing. Like, is he like trying to turn over a little bit? Like, okay, Miles Teller and Glenn Powell and some well, of these other young actors. Like, the reason why I don't think he actually will. He's is not because, because he's in the movie way more than them, yeah. and like is still leading the. Tom it's not Chris, like the young, the old guy teaching young guys his tricks. Like, he's still leading the he's show. He's not going anywhere and he's, anytime yeah, soon. He's gonna star in two Mission Impossible movies. Well, in they the were next spo- he years, was supposed like, to do that with Jeremy Renner. And I'm not sure yeah. what happened I mean, there, but the torch never got passed. Jeremy Renner's no Tom Cruise. He's not, but I actually, I do I, like Jeremy Renner. I was going to say, I, he's fine. I have, I really like Miles Teller. Like, I could see him kind of coming along. And, I mean, are we going to be shocked if they fire up another Top Gun here in, like, three years? No, like, no question. I hope it's, they do. It's already so, in the works. There's no question um, it's in the works. You don't, but, investors but, do not look at the, the, the big money day that they had from Top Gun and say, don't do another one. Right. 100% it is already in the works. I guarantee it. Right. And the, the one thing that, well, yeah, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> um, what are you holding back on, man? Well, I was just going to say, like, the, the fact that they've held off this long, like, they held off this long to do the Top Gun sequel, like, gives me some hope that they'll, like, find the right way to do another one. But, like, Mission Impossible 2 was terrible, so, like, there's probably counterexamples there. Can we just, can we not, like, can we just not, can we put that out of the franchise? Like, John, I mean, Woo, John Woo yeah, was it interesting, all the blame for it that. It was an interesting horrendous. experiment. They brought in a John Woo to do something from Hong Kong, do something different. It seemed like a pretty bad script. I don't know. I was, like... It was a terrible script. I was, like, probably 10 years old when it came out, and, like, they were rock climbing in southern Utah. That was kind of cool. That was cool. At the beginning. But you know what really drove it home for me? was the lone white dove that flies off mm. after the huge explosion after the, near the end. Sure. I was like, that's just gorgeous filmmaking right there. Sure. <laughs> I mean, but just quickly, TC, he he does Cocktail, Young Guns, it's just like a cameo. Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, Days of Thunder, Far and Away, I think that was him and Nicole Kidman. I'm not as familiar with that one. But then A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with a Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, movie that we're not going to mention, Minority Report, Vanilla Sky, Last Samurai, Collateral, War of the Worlds, Mission Impossible. Then we're just like, he's ripping off Mission Impossible movies, Jack Reacher, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow. Like, he's just like, the guy's been on just an incredible heater for 25 years with like a couple of misses. Like, is is he taking on like some of the more interesting roles that he took on earlier in his career, like A Few Good Men or some of these others. Nope, like, probably not. Like, like but A Few Good Men, by the way, like, all time. Uh, he, do, he does time. not like, get may, enough credit for that one. That maybe is, like, he's in some incredible, I love Mission Impossible, I love Top Gun, I love a lot of these movies, but, like, A Few Good Men for me may be my favorite role, favorite movie of his. Well, it's so, it's... It, You're it's, a lousy softball player, Jack. <laughs> it's, a, it's the most impressive one. No question. It's it's the most impressive because... Yeah, he's going toe-to-toe with Nicholson. Nicholson, exactly. And he... No joke. He he outshines Nicholson. In- well, he has to do so many things in that movie. Like he has to be likable, but like also be like the young, arrogant, and convincing. kind of a prick. But like you have to believe he's like Got re- that him. good of a lawyer that he like is sort of doing like kind of taking his time in the navy because of his, you know, he's trying to impress his father or do like there's some father issues wrapped up in there as there are in most TC movies. But like. Uh, it's just the whole performance, like every actor in there other than Demi Moore, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of her performance in that movie, but like Kevin Pollock's incredible, J.T. Walsh's incredible, Kiefer Sutherland's incredible, uh, just just A-plus a is all you around. Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Moore. of course. Well, I said Demi Moore. I didn't oh, love did. her gotcha. performance in that, but other than her, like obviously Nicholson comes in and just 
Kevin Bacon was actually to, great in that movie. Yeah, he's Kevin Bacon and, and Tom Cruise going back and forth like in their... Okay, I want to share. Anyway, I want to share the tweet that got me out of the that encouraged me to come out of the Tom Cruise closet. Ugh, let's hear it. That's some guy. It just appeared on my timeline, and he said, "It's funny as hell that Tom Cruise is probably one of the greatest actors to ever live, and no one wants to be a fan of him because his personal life is so effing weird." <laughs> so then I added, "This tweet encouraged me to come out of the Tom Cruise closet. He's definitely one of my favorite actors, especially since I defined favorite as someone who entertains me pretty much every time I watch them while also doing crazy stuff. E.g., for example, being tied to a plane for authenticity, because that's what I want to get back to is that." If if movies aren't more like Top Gun, where it's meant to just kind of take you away from reality for a little bit, and I guess that's why Marvel has the argument of why that works and why people love sure. it, because that fictitious fantasy world is what makes people be like, hey, I want to live here for a little bit because I want to forget the real world. I can respect that. I just think they're all the same, and that's why I don't like those movies. But um, this is why movies should exist, is my argument. And Tom Cruise is like the quintessential example of that. And I feel like he's really kind of noted that better than anyone. And from there, he's, I'm just like, I'm glad he's alive. Like he's, he is easily a top, I mean, he's easily top five. He might be top three. I'd have to reassess that. But, you know, I'd still have to look into kind of how I feel about Hugh Jackman these days. And you talking to- currently? Or all time, or just kind of, I don't know. It's kind of a it's nebulous. Right it's, now. Unclear. it's a little bit nebulous unclear right now. What, what top five? What? But yeah, I mean, like Tom Hardy was up there at some point, you know. But I mean, currently going, it's hard to argue with like what he's what what the Mission Impossible franchise alone currently is doing in terms of just like absolutely delivering what an action movie should be. Mm-hmm. Like it's they couldn't be doing anything better with that franchise. Yeah. It's, I, I kind of wish, like, some of those, like, Collateral and Magnolia and, like, going back to A Few Good Men and some of the stuff earlier, I do wish, like, he would do something like that that would be, like, a little more interesting in terms of just, like, a non-action movie, but I doubt. And it's, like, could, is Tom Cruise even capable of doing that at this point? Like, have anyone seen him not as, like, Ethan Hunt or Pete Mitchell at this point? Like, might well, not be possible. You know what's worth noting, though, is that there's clearly a correlation between these types of movies that we're talking about and him being in as a producer. Now, granted, he did produce right. the unmentionable Mission Impossible 2, but he he produced... He also produced Last Samurai, which was news to well, me. Well, I mean, like, but, once you become a big enough star, like, you're sort of listed as a producer. But I think... Oh, I think, I think he's, his involvement is very clear. For sure. And, like, I think famously he was, like, super kind of took over the production of the terrible, uh, what was the, uh, like, uh, what was the, like, the dark universe? What was the, the mummy? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> like, yeah, he, like, right. basically t- took over and, like, picked everyone and, like, sort of took over that he's whole not, production. What's funny is that he's not listed as a producer on that well, one. Well, when you're that powerful, you also get to take your name off <laughs> if, you, if it was that bad. But, like... Like, I think they were going to, like, right? They kind of had that. It was going to be him and um, Russell Crowe was going to be Jekyll and Hyde. And they had, like, a whole yeah. thing lined up of, like, well, a, I all, want those, all those haunted characters. But barring that, but, like, he I, he sort of picked, what's his name? Chris McQuarrie, Christopher McQuarrie, that has done all the Mission Impossibles with him. And now this guy uh, did Oblivion. And that uh, I forget his name. That did um, Top Gun 2. 
same director there. Which Oblivion so, wasn't as bad as you might think. Oh, I liked Oblivion. It no, was, I'm, I'm not here to... I liked Oblivion. No, I know, I know. But I just feel like no one ever oh, talks about it. Oh, the general public? Yeah. Sorry, um, you pointed at me, so it was hard not to take that oh, no. I forget we're talking to other people <laughs> I'm here. just getting animated, man. Okay, I want, I want you to be the first one to hear me say this. Love, ready. I'm gay for Tom Cruise. Oh, my. It's official. It's hard to argue. I mean... What more could you want? I'm starting to think if you're not, I'm not sure I can be friends with you. Now, it, it's one of two things. You either have to be gay for Tom Cruise or you just have to be in love with him as a, as a woman or whatever else you may want like, to Like, I'd resist at first, but if he was coming at me aggressively, yeah. I think I'd have a hard time. Yeah. Shout out to Andy Bernard. Of talking about Brad Pitt. So in this, Should have been talking about Tom Cruise. In this scenario, Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise is aggressively pursuing you. Yeah, I'm not resisting even at first, just for the record. Okay. Good. Good note. I just love that, man. And I'm, it's just one of those things where it's like, God bless Tom Cruise and all of us for having him in our lives. We're all blessed. We're all blessed <laughs> just, by TC. It was the it was the perfect movie, man. Top Gun Maverick really was, was the perfect movie. I don't mean I don't mean that by like it was there can only be one perfect movie. I mean it's the perfect blueprint for what you want out of a movie, and he achieved it so perfectly. And I'm just from so what we wanted out of. A Top Gun sequel, it delivered on all, all counts. Hit like the notes perfectly. It exceeded some incredible, like some. I think the perfect balance of callbacks and rep and like nostalgia. We got a beach volleyball sort of scene. People inexplicably on the beach playing sports in jeans. Yeah, you know, not really inexplicably though. We knew that was coming. But why in jeans? Yeah, in, we still in, knew that in was the coming. year in the year twenty twenty two, like Lululemon brands I'm, like I'm this exist. That the navy doesn't allow workout clothes in any form. <laughs> it's the only possible explanation. You can only wear clothes that they and let like, you wear in the good, fighter jet. I appreciate Bob and um, do they wear jeans? In Tom the Cruise's. <laughs> yeah, let's get your buddy back on and see if we can. Let's talk about what the jeans. What goes on? He was what, not in the navy. That might be a navy thing. That's only. true. Yeah, but what what is what can you wear under that jumpsuit? Only jeans, apparently. Yeah, it's just I think rolled that's up jeans. Yeah. <laughs> right under the flight suit. The, the the one female fighter pilot had a sports bra and baggy basketball shorts. Yeah, I don't and know like, how she got away with that. Bob and um, Holdo or Hondo or Holdo or whatever Cruz's buddy from the disastrous test from the beginning. They both had a shirt on. So shout out to them for like not having to do HGH for a year to get ready for that scene. Yeah, there were a lot of talks about that. Apparently, like people were surprised at how ripped Miles Teller came into the movie. Like Glenn Powell apparently yeah. like called him out for that. I was ready like, what are go. you doing, dude? Yeah, like, and Glenn Powell, for those that don't know, is Hangman. Who, by the way, remember what I said about right after the movie? I don't. Hangman was my favorite. <laughs> oh, I'm good with that. I mean, he, he just spoke to me, man. He's like oh, enough, enough uh, ice, right? Enough Val Kilmer, but but, like, but not too much. Yeah. Like he was way more. He was actually more likable than Iceman was in the first one. I yeah. thought it, right from the get go. Like not. Uh, I mean, speaking of ice, let's let's get into that at some point here too. Like bringing it, bringing Val back. Like, let's do it now. I think like. Well, I feel like he really died for some reason, which I don't love. I feel like no, Val Kilmer's Val dead. Kilmer's alive. Let's, no, I know, let's but put he was that funny. To bed. I know. Is that I? I can't remember like how this played out, but I was actually talking to a friend, and I was like, the thing that I didn't like about. Val Kilmer and Top Gun is that they killed him off, and now I feel like Val Kilmer is really dead. 
And my buddy's like, isn't he? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, he's very much alive. But like pretty cool. Like I don't know if you anyone has watched or seen that the Val documentary on Amazon Prime. Like pretty crazy story with him and his throat, Actually, no. Throat. Is that good? Yeah. So like he'd been recording himself. Like not surprisingly, an actor has been accumulating home videos for most of his life. But like he and his uh, daughter, I believe, like put together all these home videos of his whole life. He got throat cancer and like lost his voice, which is why mm-hmm. they did kind of presented him how they did in the movie. Um, but used like a bunch of AI and kind of recreated the voice for him in the movie. But and they've sort of done that a little bit in real life too, I guess. But mm-hmm. the they have this documentary on Amazon Prime that like presents his whole life kind of and like through his own eyes and from his home videos. But really, really interesting story. Uh, big fan of Val Kilmer that, that as well from Top Gun. And have you ever rewatched movies. The Saint? By the way, I'm sure you've seen it once. I have seen it once. I don't know if I've ever revisited. I'm not sure I can. I have the confidence to tell you to rewatch it now because I rewatched it within the last five years at some point in my life, and I was sad at how cheesy it actually was because I loved it as a kid. Hmm. I loved it. I, I thought Val Kilmer was so great in that, and it was an interesting storyline, which I obviously didn't fully understand as a kid, but. Then I watched it, rewatched it, and I'm like, gosh, that's actually kind of not borderline unwatchable. <laughs> like, it's that bad. I hate, that. I hate that for you. Val Kilmer's great, well, though. Um, and it was in place of that, feel free to rewatch Heat. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, Val Kilmer. Uh, but, like, the whole, the way they handled, like, the Ice Maverick relationship, like, he's kind of been his, Iceman has been Maverick's kind of guardian angel, kind of keeping him above the fray yeah. for his whole career just from the, their relationship and, and Iceman basically trusting him to as he as he bumps up against his troubles with authority to still have something to contribute I thought was a, kind of a cool testament to their Can we talk about relationship but this for a second sure. how much of a screw up do you have to be to be basically the undisputed best fighter pilot to ever exist and to never have an opportunity to grow past what is it? Captain? Oh, oh, no, 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 no! You're totally misreading that. I think. Please. I mean, not. Me. I don't think it's not have the opportunity. I think. I think. I think it's like a self sabotage or like Pete. All of his friends have stopped flying. When do you think the last time Iceman flew was? Okay, so never. This... Pete Ma- Maverick never has wanted to stop flying. That's why he's so still he's, a captain. Do you think he's I think turned that's down opportunities? I think he's turned down opportunities. I think he self sabotages. I think he. Makes all these mistakes. I think he does all these. He he creates all this opportunity for him not to be promoted. I mean, the, there's like the the outright joke in the movie about like still a captain after all this time. Jennifer Connelly's daughter says it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, like, like it's it comes up several times. Like still a captain after all this time, Mav. I think it's totally intentional because he wants to just still be flying. All this time, he and he like they don't do a great job of making that clear though. I think you might be right. I feel, but I feel you kind like, of have to read between the lines. Yeah, in maybe a movie you have to that read a little bit. But to me, that. to me, that's like pretty clear. Of that's like what it is, and it's like he's in this test program. That's like as far as he'll go. And this was some of your conversation with your your buddy about like how that part was unnecessary. Like to me, it's showing, and it may have been a Lockheed Martin. Advertisement. By the way, he's referencing Clark, who we just heard on the interview. Clark Heyman, who's the fighter jet pilot, who's saying that he it was a Lockheed Martin. <laughs> the jet. I, you do notice yeah. it on the stick. I don't know. I don't didn't know all the other technical things that, that your buddy pointed out, but um, it how, whatever the reason it was in there. I think the story reason was like the one thing that Mav could do, like that at least sort of made sense, was he could be this test pilot 
He could be go faster than anyone had ever gone. Like that sort of appealed to him. And it also sort of made sense from a career progression perspective, but it at least still allowed him to fly and he could be a pilot still. But any other promotion to be an admiral, to be like a commander, to be leading a squadron, to be, you know, moving up in the ranks of, of naval aviation. I mean, I might be out of my depth here a little bit, but like all those kind of promotions, you stop flying basically, right? Like John Hamm in the movie is not flying, right? Iceman in the movie, presumably he's the commander of the Pacific fleet. He's not flying anymore. Like none of these guys that are his contemporaries are flying. Well, and to throw also to reference my buddy Clark, uh, slider, by the way, um, he had not said, the slider from the he, first Top Gun. He didn't mention this on the on the podcast, but he's actually looking to retire next year. Really? Because he's starting to have like back issues and things like that. And um, I mean, he's he's my age. You know, he's thirty four. So 35. yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's not a long shelf life to be yeah. a fighter pilot, I mean, right? Because it's reflexes, it's, it's G forces coming. Yeah, down it's on like you. I'm sure it's super yeah. hard on your body. It's reflexes, it's eyesight, and all that stuff like starts going sooner than we would like to admit, especially as a fighter pilot, like as soon as some of that stuff starts going, you probably are can do more not actually in the seat anymore. So Maverick but, is ultimately representative of actual Tom Cruise, who is yeah, never ages. Absolutely. <laughs> his, his ability he to could do still anything. do it better than anyone at yeah. 50 or I mean, whatever he's supposed to be in the movie. I was mean, in real just, life, he's Was 60. he just doing an ode to Tom Cruise? Well, was I think there, there definitely was? is. Let, let me finish making one point, and then I think there's a broader theme that I... I appreciate that Tom is making this movie because there's one other thing that your buddy slider said and I don't know I listened to an unedited interview that you graciously sent me so I may be pointing out that's all going in I may be pointing out things that don't get make it in the final cut no that's all going in not but um are you accusing me of editing podcasts I am accusing you of editing for brevity yes okay as as you should yeah I hope everything I say does not make it into the podcast it will because there's no way I'm going through this to, to edit this all out by tomorrow. But okay, anyway. that's fair. <laughs> um, but he said something about like, it doesn't make it like, and l- let me start with a disclaimer that anything an active fighter pilot says about what's realistic relative to uh, a fighter pilot movie. May like, just trump your opinion. That probably <laughs> should, let's go with that is what is, that is what is more realistic. But I think what they were going for in the story was like, and just, just to like put a point on it, what what Slider said was, it, it what would be happening is the young guys would be planning this mission. They would be telling, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what makes the most sense tactically. They would be planning out the mission, and then they would be practicing it, and then they would go do it. So the fact that Tom Cruise is here to teach them and then ends up going on the mission is like totally unrealistic. And obviously, like a 55 year old fighter pilot going out on the mission with them, I'm sure. I don't that know is, what he's. That in is movie. totally unrealistic. Yeah, he's sixty. But he's, 50, he's turning. Yeah, he's, he's turning sixty. 60. Yeah. in real life. But so whatever he's supposed to be in the movie. Um. But I think what they're going for in the movie is sort of a continuation of the point I was just making. Is like he's never wanted to not be a pilot, and so if this is like his one last ride as a pilot, like that—that's what this mission is all about. So like, and I think there's also some tones of like everything with his relationship with Goose's son, you know, he could kind of go in his place and keep him out of danger, which he ultimately does make kind of make a sacrifice to protect him. Um, you know, he, he could kind of put himself in harm's way versus putting someone else in harm's way. That's like, it's sort of billed as a mission that people, someone's not going to come back from. Um, but I think ultimately it's like Maverick 
has always wanted to be a pilot. He doesn't has avoided any rank or change that would take him out of flying. And this is one last mission that uh, is is like the perfect send off for someone who has never wanted to do anything but fly. That, that, that was kind yeah, of my read that's on the movie. Fair. So, like, what's realistic in terms of what would actually be happening in in the how the mission would get planned? I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I yield to yeah. that, of course. But I think that's kind of what they were going for in the story. And then, of, the of course, is, the resolution. Though, they're going to make another one, and there's no yeah. re, re, there's no way Tom Cruise doesn't fly in it. Sure. I mean, this is like the Fast and Furious issue of like, yeah. we're on like the sixth one last job. When you have here. a cash cow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the right. Sixth what, one right. When the movie, right, you keep making movies and you find reasons. So the but, year is 2037. Seventy three year old Maverick, Maverick is Pete Mitchell finding one last reason to fly. Yeah, one last mission. <laughs> the, the the last of the last missions. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be I think that's gonna be the subtitle. Sure. Is that what they call it? Anyway. Um Yeah, it was uh there was one other point I wanted to make about Oh, oh, the broader point I think. So um like in my heart, I stood up and applauded. I don't. I'm not a person that like cheers and claps. My in mom movies. claps all the time <laughs> at movies, and I'm just. It's like I kind of have to like put my head down and just like. But it was basically the point. Um, the point that was being made was like uh, it was in Tom's conversation with Ed Harris when they're you know he's he gives him the whole rundown of his career of like you should have been a two star admiral or a senator by now and you're still here a captain. The first time his rank gets thrown in his face, he's a 50-year-old captain. And, um, you know, he, he's walking out and he says, you're a dying breed, Maverick. Like, there's not going to be any more you left. Me- meaning, like, all manned pilots. We're talking about the drone programs right. at this point. And, and Tom kind of recognizes that may be true. And he says something like, you know, you, that, you may be right, but not today or something like that. And, like, I think, it's, I think there's a little bit of, like, I think Tom is, is looking at this movie a little bit in, a, in a bro- the broader landscape of, of film. And like, whatever. If it's Marvel and all the CGI, or, you think he was actually doing a, a nod? Little, to I think his there's a there? little bit of his career in that line too, where he's like, you know, like movie stars maybe dying out. Like this, everyone is just a superhero or whatever. Like, there's not really many like Tom Cruise left, but like, there's still I've still got one more ride in me and a few more in Mission Impossible or whatever else. But I, I don't know. It was hard not to like. Because everything, it's hard not to just see Tom Cruise in any role he does at this point, too. So it's hard not to kind of That's take true. what he says as him saying it, too. Maybe it's just what we're really talking about here so, is that he has the ultimate self-awareness. And I think there is a little bit of that, too. Like, I think he's, and like, I mean, Tom Cruise doesn't live a normal life. He doesn't experience life like the normal, like a normal person does. So, like. I, I, I think Scientology keeps him grounded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For fear of personal retribution, I'm gonna I'm gonna abstain from responding to that. But um, wait, from the Scientologist? Yeah, I don't want to come after me. Who knows? Fair enough. Hey, I never said anything negative about him. In fact, we'll talk about a tangent. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, you know, as crazy as they make L. Ron Hubbard sound, they're doing the same thing with Joseph Smith in the Under the Banner of Heaven series and in the book and all that. So whatever, it's all there. Yeah, the but. book book has some issues i have not watched the any of the series yet so i cannot speak oh. to that but i've been watching it and giving some reviews on this podcast not today though anyway um did you have any last words before we uh tom is great the movie is great support it's, it's perfect support great support real movies like I, I was seriously such, I, I love i'm personally like i love going to movies in the theater i love 
so, movies that aren't CGI. So like this was a this was a triumph to me. That's the thing. I, and I want to and I want to address this with you actually here because this makes a lot of sense. I've ripped on Fast and Furious plenty of times, even on this podcast before. Now that's tough. I know, and I'm not bringing you on to talk about this because I can at least appreciate why people watch movies like Fast and Furious. To me, it's the same idea as the Marvel movies. Not to say they're the same movies, but same idea. And I, the where these movies overlap, the Venn diagram between Fast and the Furious and, and Top Gun is that they just want to entertain, and I can appreciate that more than anything. Where I draw the line personally is kind of the CGI thing. It's kind of like the over-the-top bad acting as if they like... It's not that they don't care about it. It's almost like some of them are trying to be bad. I don't know. Maybe sure. it's, but and that and and what Top Gun had was none of that, I felt. Like there obviously was no CGI. Well, you know, for the yeah, most part, no CGI. Like and, a little bit, but yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And there certainly is like some over-the-top stuff and the, the dude standing up and like yelling, put that in your Pentagon budget was a pretty good line, I thought. At the oh, when they, when yeah. they, like the successful test, like riding Ed Harris's face, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and there's cool. for sure a few like, I mean, like, I I, I, I don't know. Me, me and Fast and Furious have a complicated relationship. Like to me, it's a lot like the first Top Gun in that, except for if like I was ten years older for the first Top Gun. Like if I was ten years old when the first Top Gun came out, that's my relationship with the first Fast and Furious. It's like a total nostalgia. Like, oh, I loved the first one when I was little, or not little, but like, I was like, I don't know, it came out when I was like 12 or 14 or something. So I was like the perfect age for like a street racing, like movie that I saw in the theater with a buddy. And like, then we just kept seeing them all. So it's like, it's more of like a childhood, like adolescent nostalgia thing. And then four, five, and six are three of the best action movies of all time, I think. Hmm. And then it's a, it's a totally different series post Paul Walker. So I, I'm actually, I sort of disavow the series after Seven. Seven, I think they did the best they could with having to do half the movie after he had died. Eight and nine, can't say I loved. I think The Rock brings a totally, di- like, they basically become more The Rock movies. He sort of takes them over. Now it's like The Rock and Statham and Ben is sort of hanging on. I, I don't know. It's, it's a totally different series. I think if it's Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, it's a different trajectory, but... We can maybe save that for another time, but I stand like the first one, and then four, five, and six. I stand by as all-time movies. Alrighty, well, so, how about that? Anyway, see movies in the theaters if you're a girl and you like movies. The DMs are open. Get at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's at J No, wait, it's J Steves. At J Steves for any any of you lovely ladies out there yeah. that are looking for a nice movie partner. I promise I'll take you to a movie, and he may even buy you popcorn. It's a guarantee. Some frozen junior mints. Mm, love it. <laughs> All righty, John, oh, Johnny. Times. Thanks great for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Uh, a I'm plus gonna... on Top Gun. Maverick. Oh, another thing I wanted to say real quick. Oh. The, the reason why it felt like uh, Jurassic World to me was because I saw Jurassic World in the theater three times. I don't think I paid for the tickets all three times, so that was part of it. But I just who willingly goes to the same movie in the theater that often? Like that, it's not that common. I would do that like right away leaving Top Gun Maverick. I was like, I'm in again. I mean, like, I've I'm, seen I'm it twice. Again. I'll definitely be seeing it at least once more and, yeah. and maybe more. And like, it's, it's absolutely, if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you've listened to this whole podcast. If you haven't seen it, but like <laughs> if you haven't seen it or if you did see it and not an IMAX, like I could not recommend more strongly, like seeing it in the best like possible theater setup. Like not only seeing it in theaters, but like 
find an IMAX. Like find I'm not the, sure I could do a, find a, the Dolby a, a non IMAX. Like see it with the best sound and like biggest screen possible because like it just makes it that it much better. Twenty dollars for a ticket to see it in IMAX oh, with the amazing paid sound. Three times that. I, that was another one of those things where I'm like. I felt like a steal at twenty bucks. I actually, yeah, I, I, I was like, I couldn't believe that was only twenty bucks. I know. Yeah, I would be embarrassed to list the movies I've seen in the theater three times. So let's save that for <laughs> that's right. a, that's behind the paywall, folks. <laughs> that's right. So subscribe if you want to hear <laughs> Rate, about review. Subscribe. Yeah, all that. Leave a comment anyway. Thanks for having me, pal. Of course. Thanks for coming, Johnny. Always appreciate it. We're gonna have you back soon for sure. Sounds good. Everything's changing my mind. Go to a different time. Old love, I remember falling so madly There must have been magic in the valley And a rhythm in the night Cause I could almost see it Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time, I, I If it takes time, I, I